I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. They want benign indifference. They want us drugged. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. The world needs a wake-up call. We're gonna phone it in. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Today, I have a special bonus episode for you. Um, I was going to wait to put this out, but this is one where I, I just had too good of a time, and I feel like there's too much information here to delay it any further, and it, it's kind of a good kickoff for the uh, presentations I have coming later in the month. Um I had the opportunity to sit down with Beyond Top Secret Texan. Guy does great work. He's got a podcast. um, He's got a YouTube channel, a Patreon. I I highly recommend his work. This guy knows his stuff. He, uh, his episodes are, you know, kind some of them are like the uh, conspiracy guys. He has some four hour episodes, uh, most of them go about two hours, but man, I, after I listen to some of his podcasts, I'm like, man, I, I wish they went a little bit longer because the information in there is just fantastic. And, uh, and this one will not disappoint. We, we went for over three hours, um, and it felt like a little bit over an hour. Um, it was an amazing conversation, you know, I, I have never really spoken to him before other than, you know, we traded some, uh, Instagram DMs and, you know, I checked out, like I said, I checked out his work and, and obviously he checked out some of mine and guys, this is just a fun episode. Uh, we basically went over tons of alternate theory, alternate history theories, um, you know, from 18, the wars of 1812 and Napoleon to the, the Great Comet to the fires, the Carolina Bays, the Civil War, the World's Fairs, uh, the significance of America possibly being Atlantis, the Egyptian presence, the uh, Native Americans and the Moors. I mean, we we went all over the map with this thing and I really had a blast with this gentleman and uh, I look forward to doing some more work with him in the future here because uh, I, I think we need more of these, right? This long form conversation and uh, it, it was a great time. So I, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Um, uh, an extra bonus episode for the week and uh, it'll be the kickoff to this upcoming weekend's uh, Crystal Palace presentation that we're going to do. Um, and I think it's a it, it's a good one to lead us in there and, uh, you know, sit back, relax, 
you know, in the words of my boy Davey Wavy over at the Red Pill Cartel, grab a drink, grab your smoke, whatever you do. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this. This is this is a fun ride, guys. Um, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. This is this has been one of my favorite episodes so far. And you know, I, I usually don't say that about these things, but man, I, I just had fun. We just kept bouncing ideas back and forth, and questions, and and just a great, great discussion. And if and if you want to check out his work. Go check him out on Instagram at Beyond Top Secret Texan. His YouTube channel is also Beyond Top Secret Texan. Uh, and then he's also on uh, TikTok at Beyond Top Secret Texan. I highly recommend his work. He's got over 400 videos on his YouTube channel. Um, and uh, this, is, this is a fun one, guys. So I hope you enjoy it. Sit back, relax, enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, this is Matt from the Great Deception Podcast. I have a great conversation lined up tonight for you all with my friend, uh, Beyond Top Secret Texan. Uh, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great, man. I really am. And I'm uh, very excited to be getting into the conversation with you tonight over uh, Antiquitech, Tartaria, and uh, you know the Great Reset, basically, that occurred. Oh, this is my favorite hot topic of the day, <laughs> or it's I should say of the world. year. It's been it's been a while now. It's the real lost world, and you know, and I always think of that like, um, you know, the world of magic and the world of that 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 lost, uh, you know, um, wonder and like Atlantean utopia, and that this is the real life Atlantis. You know, this is the real life uh, ancient aliens. Yeah, and it's fascinating, too, because the possibilities are almost endless, right? And and we think we're so technologically advanced now, uh, but in reality, they may have been more so, you know, from an overall standpoint than we are, being that, you know, they were, it seems like their uh, technology was more nature-based, natural in, in a sense, whereas ours is almost forced. It's, it's against nature. Um, and, and that's what really fascinates me. And, and I've only been diving into this, like I said, for, for probably about a year now, um, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I got into it through uh, Howdy McCoskey's book, Exposing the Expositions. And uh, because I had never heard of the, the World's Fairs or anything like that. I mean, I've heard of the World's Fairs, but didn't know the, the real story behind them, especially the ones in the 1800s and early 1900s. And, and going into that and, and now looking at it, you're exactly right. Like, how, how is that possible? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating that it's, it's something that is thought less and less now the actual state of technological achievement and infrastructure of the past and we think now we are at the peak and it's never been better than the moment that we exist in now the great present right like we're always the the tip of the progress a tip of the sword of progress but the evidence is mounting and the everything from photographic evidence to simple logistics is kind of hard to explain in, in a way that doesn't suggest that they had superior technology, superior 
uh, workmanship, like skill, like trap, like craftsman skill, superior architect, archi- architecture, uh, architects, superior city planners, superior, um, you know, uh, urban designers, and uh, their their accomplishments were not uh, primitive forays into otherwise, you know, poorly understood. You know, things like their skyscrapers still stand to this very day. Their subway tunnels are still used. You know, their their uh, buildings are still of superior quality than their modern counterparts. And it's very much in league with the mysteries surrounding monoliths and surrounding um, things like the pyramids or uh, Stonehenge in levels of mystery and levels of difference and it's truly on the shoulders of giants that that our society and i think uh you know um everything in our society is really built on yeah and and don't forget cathedrals right because that's one of the that's one of the areas and i haven't i haven't honestly i haven't dug deep into them i've just really touched the surface on them but that's one of the things where you can go back. I mean, we're talking early 10th century, 11th century, when some of these, you know, amazing Gothic cathedrals were built. And, and we're talking a time, you know, where there, we've been told there was no technology, right? I mean, there was, these were supposedly primitive people living off the land, and yet they managed to, you know, as we dig deeper into it, like you said, across their civilization, it seems a lot more sophisticated than what we've been told. A perfect example is, and you said you saw you were reading about the fairs, the World Trade Expo in Chicago, I believe, is one of the most famous in this subject. Um, and some and one of the most easy to access just with a logical and rational mind, even if you are a skeptic listening at home or Maybe you're on the fence of the subject of this alternate history, or a suppressed history, a great reset history of a superior technologically advanced civilization circa the 1800s, or at least the, their very end was the 1800s, uh, that was reclaimed by uh, the United States. So what we know as the, the inheriting uh, nation of America and the people of America, because they want you to believe that in 18... And, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's 1893. Correct. That they built dozens of fully wired and, you know, uh, indoor plumbing, you know, hot, cold running water type buildings along um, a basically empty lot, like an empty field with fully, you know, uh, paved uh fairways and thoroughfares and and you know monuments made to look like buildings that were exotic to america basically like ancient greek cathedrals and you know um sepulchers like ottoman turk or russian sepulchers and things like that as well as um being a place to demonstrate electronic marvels like by the works of Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. And this was all done literally in an open swampy field 
in less than a year. Yeah, because yeah, the narrative is 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 between one and two years for construction, and, and we're not talking about a few buildings, right? We're talking about two hundred buildings, two hundred buildings, yeah. some of which are massive. One which they claim could hold up to three hundred thousand people. So think about that, guys. That's three football fields, three football stadiums worth of people, you, you know, and and they also we're talking almost 700 acres, you know, in Chicago. And, and then you go to another one like St. Louis, where they, they say it was 1300 acres. So we're not, you know, we're not talking about a confined area. We're talking about a cityscape that they're raising in, in a, a year or two. And, and one of the interesting things that I found uh, about Chicago is if you take uh, the, the area of Chicago where they built the expo, you can fit all of Magic Kingdom and Epcot in there and still have room to spare. So it, just to put it into perspective that we're talking about a massive amount of area that they built in, in a time frame that isn't plausible by today's standards with unlimited funds and unlimited uh, manpower and, and, and our you know, machinery. Yes, and it becomes one of those things where the people responsible for building it were apparently uh, illiterate immigrants from the old country, and the attendants were, surprisingly enough, the world's elite and delegates and diplomats of aristocracy from foreign European, mostly European nations. But the fact that it was internationally attended with uh, you know, like a human zoo, and it had um, hundreds of thousands of guests and visitors. It was probably the most popular and talked about thing globally, like events of that year, if not the decade. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, they they say that twenty seven and almost twenty seven and a half million people attended that expo. Oh, yes. Uh, Yes. Twenty seven million people in 1893. And that's sick over six month time frame. Right. We're Mm -hmm. talking. I think it was May to October that the fair was open. So, uh, you know, we're talking an interesting time. And one of the things I I was watching a uh, a Michelle Gibson video this morning, uh, one of her newer ones on uh, the U.S. and the Wild West. And one of the interesting things that she pointed out is the definition of an exposition, right? And that's what these were called. They were called the expositions. And there's two definitions. One is an exposition is a text that presents one side of the issue. The purpose is to persuade the reader or listener by presenting one side of an argument that is the case for or against. Okay. And then you have the other definition which is a large exhibit usually sponsored by a government or trade group to showcase the products, services of a particular country, uh, region, or company. And, and I found those definitions very interesting when you think about this in the grand scheme of things, right? Because they built up all these, these magnificent buildings, many of which they claim were temporary and were built out of wood and staff, which is, you know, like a plaster-like material. Now, take a look at the photos and tell me that those, you know, the majority of those buildings are made out of plaster and 
You know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Well, they also say that to be, to explain why the buildings were dismantled, which is in itself a whole rabbit hole and a side of the coin that is like, I guess, the dark side of the moon in terms of scale when it comes to what happened to these buildings and what happened to the the evidence of this um, world's fair is that they were dismantled and taken down uh, remarkably quick, even though, like you said, the buildings could accommodate 300,000 people, 27 million people had seen it, and with very little saved or preserved in museums or in histories, uh, you know, anywhere. Like, it's not like they were, you know, then shipped to various museums because of their grand global importance. It was almost deliberately covered up erased and demolished from history and like i said it's not a small area it's 700 acres oh and so the commitment to erasing this was not um it was not a small thing it it came under great expense of both manpower and you know and fortune and 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 it makes you wonder why right why 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 would you go through all it would have been cheaper to leave it Exactly. Yeah, exactly. To repurpose it or even just include it as a historic tourist district. But the fact that it was purposely demolished and the excuses, well, the buildings themselves were mostly plaster and like plywood. And you're like, really? Because it, you know, you spent thousands, if not millions of dollars at that time's money to, you know, demolish this, you know, and do so in record time. Like it's not like uh like I said Disneyland, um, Disneyland sits even when it's abandoned mostly undemolished simply because the cost factor of demolishing it rather than just leaving it. You know, like uh, that's one of those things that people don't realize that there was uh, many of these world's fairs and none of them, very few of them, actually still remain in. And really, uh, most of these ancient buildings and these ancient wonders uh, are intentionally demolished, uh, much like how Tesla's tower was in in uh, Colorado. Oh yeah, exactly. And and they tend to they tease you, right? They they'll leave behind one or two of the structures so that you can still see. And and what they'll say is, oh, those were the permanent structures that we built. And I find it kind of ironic because at the same time, you know, during the Chicago uh, or either during or directly after uh, the Chicago Expo, they were uh, building the second Coliseum and, uh, you know, they were they were doing the construction and the roof collapsed. So you're, you're telling me that these these architects and construction workers that were able to build 200 structures in, in less than, you know, two years. But when they went to build one building, the roof collapsed. And then it took them about a year just to complete that one structure. You know, it just, the the story is so all over the place that it just makes you scratch your head. You're like, well, how is this possible? If they, if they're such great architects and could put up all these amazing buildings and these, these elaborate domes and, and, and statues and everything. But then when it comes to building one other building, it collapses on them. Like which, which one is it? 
a lot of it is in comparison pretty ludicrous like how the i mean this is this is a big picture type thing with the whole entirety of what the nation's infrastructure was back in the 1800s compared to now uh how were the subway tunnels of any city let alone every major american city uh constructed and the railway systems and um, things like dams or river locks and ports, infrastructure like that, like waterways. And if you look at today's building projects, do you think that something like the Hoover Dam could have been constructed in 2020? Like, I mean, technologically, it should be child's play. But you realistically think about these things. The subway tunnels of New York City are, are um, the train yards of Chicago, for example. They want you to believe those were created in a time without computers, let alone without calculators. Like, there are massive undertakings of man and personnel. And, yeah, it and just doesn't alone, add up, right? I mean... It's not rational. It's not it doesn't it's not a logical thing. And yes, you could say that um, Americans were just different back then. But that's something like saying that they went from literally living in the dark ages where you want us to believe that in the 1800s people didn't have electricity in their houses, that they didn't have uh, hot and cold running water. They most of them didn't have educations. And most of them, um, you know, literally lived as blue collar laborers, right? Just just basically craftsmen, lay tradesmen. And yet they were able to do things like, uh, you know, basically, uh, like I said, create 200 buildings over 700 square acres, even out of paper mache and plywood, you know, for the for the for the 27 million spectators that would flood into Chicago like like just the the absolute work ethic and, and um, social cohesion that would take well yeah and and where are all these supplies coming from who's producing all of this material at this time and and how is it being transported there i mean we're talking about almost 700 acres worth of building materials and and you go and look and and i challenge anyone go research and try and find legitimate construction photos of any of these buildings and and all you will find is basically the the structures in place and they have they have some scaffolding up around the outside and they may be working on a roof or or something or there's no no people at all you know it's just a picture of of some wood sitting there a pile of wood and then scaffolding in a building and it's it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever the photographic record is very interesting in these matters because they want us to believe that they were taken at a time when Photoshop did not exist, but Photoshop was actually around during like, since the first days of photography. The, the nature of photography leads to its ability to be manipulated, especially in an analog state, right? Correct. Um, any, 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 like the most layman would think that, and most anyone would think that there was no way to manipulate a old photograph. And it just takes a simple 
you know, um, college level course in photography to know that that's, that's actually not the case to the extreme. It's actually the opposite where all photography is manipulatable and it's just by its very nature, um, you know, um, compromised in that case. All the, I, I warrant that all these old archive photos have been the subject of a lengthy campaign of manipulation and disinformation, especially the skyscraper construction of photos and the photos involving things like New York skyline or um, the creation of capitals, like state capitals is, a, is another big one. And many times in these frontier communities, that's the only photography that exists is like, uh, you know, the building of a state capital like, uh, you know, um, the Idaho uh, state, or, or Denver is a great one, Colorado, Denver, because it starts as a mining colony, a Wild West territory. And then overnight you have this incredibly large capital building with a gold dome on top of it. That's Greco-Roman in design, f- f- complete with Freemasonic symbolism and, and cornerstones that are like, you know, comparable to any monument or wonder from the ancient world. And it's done in a design not of a frontier Western, you know, mentality or like a Christian Protestant or anything that you would think from the 1800s. It's done in a Greco-Roman style. That that's more akin to, you know, ancient Greece or ancient Phoenicia or ancient uh, Rome. Yeah, and, and and think about what they presented us with at that time, right? It was the Wild West. It was yeah. just these, you know, dust bowl towns <laughs> with tumbleweeds and and you know a, a saloon and things like that. That they weren't showing us Roman architecture. They were just showing us very simple structures you know that you or i could probably build with a little bit of time well the the entire idea is that they literally rolled up to these areas and for whatever like factor decided to build a town so naturally the buildings would be brand new uh like i said they're traveling light so whatever building materials would have to be uh you know easy to transport and carry we're not talking um granite pillars and columns like Corinthian columns and then like and yes you can make an excuse for the east coast because it's centered for money and capital and power but once you start getting past the um like the Mississippi line basically you're getting into territories which are most don't exist until the 1800s most are in possession by foreign powers like Mexico or France uh, before the purchases and there are no records for their for uh, and their histories of them creating any infrastructure so you think of things like california which there are photos of it having literally no infrastructure and within 20 years having the for, uh, the foundations for cities like uh san francisco san diego los angeles um you know um sacramento and, and they want you to kind of believe that they built those uh, massive metropolises overnight because of gold rushes and things. And you're like, either they uncovered them from the mud flood, which is a discussion we're, we should have in the second hour, 
you know, the Great Reset and its different metho- uh, methods for how it came to be. But we also need to discuss that um, most likely these cities and these buildings were uncovered or discovered and not constructed or erected. And, um, you know, very, it's, it's easier to uh, say that we, you know, are just so great as architects and builders that nothing can get in our way. But, I mean, realistically... I don't think we could build those monument, those Capitol buildings today. I really don't think we could. Not within a decade. Not either. Not within twenty decades. Yeah, or twenty years. I mean, and exactly. Not with a skeleton crew. Yeah, who are who are there not to build things, but they're to pan gold, and you know, like um, really, like like we want to believe that the population was mostly 49ers and prospectors and the merchants who came to profit off of them who had no interest in things like state governance, but yet there was dedicated architects and engineers that just flocked and rushed across the 50 territories to build, you know, incredible like, uh, like uh, achievements and and seemingly for no real popular demand. Like- well, yeah, and, and there's two interesting things there. One is uh, these these people who, you know, and I say they, and I, I don't know who they are, but we're talking about the, the people who are in charge of, of what's taking place. They are ultimately magicians, right? And and what they love to use is word magic. And one of the things that I found that I find fascinating is the word founded, right? Because it can be, if you sound it out, it's found dead. So they didn't necessarily, you know, they found these buildings. They didn't build them, many of them. They found them and uncovered them. They were found dead or founded. And and I found that to be fascinating. And that's when I started putting that together, it really made sense that, a lot of this stuff was probably already here because you look at a lot of the monuments and markers, they always say this was founded in, not this was built in. And, and I find that because they, they, there's a lot of power in words and the way that they manipulate things with words. And uh, so, so I found that point to be fascinating. And then the other side of it is the writer of the history Right. The, the there was a gentleman named H.H. Bancroft, and he's basically credited with writing all of the history for the Western United States, Texas, California, uh, British Columbia, Mexico and the natives. This guy supposedly wrote over 600,000 pages in less than 20 years. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I haven't, and, and one guy, what was his name? Bancroft, you said? H, yeah. H, H, Bancroft, B A N C R O F T. And, and what's interesting. I recently heard about uh, just to compliment what you're saying. So, so please continue. But I have a point to make uh, it, to compliment it. And, and go right uh, ahead. You're right. His story, his story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is story. It's not true. It's just one man's interpret our people's collective interpretations of of a subjective narrative 
Oh, absolutely. Right. It's their point of view. It's, it's like, we get back to, you know, the definition of exposition. It's, it's an, it's their side of the argument. They're trying to persuade you to believe their story and whether that story is another. Yeah. And whether that's factually correct or not, they don't care because they're trying to federal thing there was a a real thing under fdr during the great depression in the 30s it was called the federal writers of america and they were the government hired writers who were mostly unemployed east coast newspaper men uh and they were sent out into the south and into the west to communities rural communities uh places uh with little archives and no records places hit by floods natural disasters etc and just basically every town in america to collect stories about the town and to create a documented um you know history and this was done under the government's eye fdr if you know about the government in the Great Depression era, Rockefeller bought America uh, during the Great Depression. And this could be interpreted as one of the, you know, FDR's, was it um, New Deal, where he was modernizing a mostly rural and disconnected America by building roads, by wiring with electricity. But the dark side was eugenics. The dark side was the erasure of things that did not conform to the narrative, the erasure of uh, contrary opinion to the the story, his story, which is Rockefeller's story, Rockefeller's America. Things like founding families, uh, town histories, uh, you know, everything from like uh, important families to to legacies and things like that traditions um you know what it really means to be a human in america was all collected and at that point i believe edited out of existence and into uh this this american dream well and it's interesting it's interesting you mentioned the name rockefeller because if we go back to the chicago expo uh rockefeller financed the university of chicago in 1890 which Mm -hmm. just so happened to be right next to the exposition grounds and uh you know in in 1886 there was a massive fire that basically destroyed everything but the main tower on campus Mm -hmm. and uh so he paid to have it rebuilt well the the interesting thing about the name and the mascot of the University of Chicago is it's the phoenix and what is a phoenix it's it's it rises from the ashes right and that's the story they want to give you that we went came from nothing and just rose up to this great prominence and that's that that seems to be the rockefeller story over and over again that they put this twist on it that you know, they have some exceptionalism and, 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 you know, like you said, they're going to name the families that are of importance. They're going to dictate to us his story, what they want us to understand about it. Well, like trolleys, uh, symbolically, the, the actual trolley is a very strange, um, embodiment of this cover-up or this suppression of technology by the Rockefellers or by his agents rather 
and um it serves as a perfect like capsule of it and i don't know if you know the story of the trolley no honestly i don't okay so trolleys long story short used to be in every major american city they were this electric grid of basically free public transportation that connected like downtowns um and made it very convenient for people to travel in between buildings and, and things, uh, you know, either on their, for the commutes or whatever, but without owning a car. And they're completely electric, right? They were running on the city's electrical grid. They were in every major city. And then they started getting bought up and removed. Now, people who were alive and who had memories of these things started asking questions and it was actually investigated by private investigators. And they found out that the people purchasing them and privatizing them as like functions and then basically folding and taking them with them, like basically um, intentionally suppressing this technology were, was a cartel of businessmen that was in league with automobiles and who made petroleum the de facto fuel for automobiles, Rockefeller, who was bankrolling this whole scheme, big oil, because cities themselves were designed in a day before oil was, was profitable. You know, they, they were designed with an electrical green energy grid in a time that was more, like I said, in tune with nature, in tune with uh, direct energy, and tune with, uh, you know, zero, like, you know, like, like alternatives to society where everything was more utopian and functional. Society has been reverse engineered at every level like this, where things that have previously existed for our convenience have been privatized and then slowly removed from our conscious mind over generations. And it's just this like overt cartelism and overt conspiracy that the Rockefellers have always intended and have literally succeeded at because, like you said, they own universities. They own the entire public education system by this point. They own all the health. Uh, Rockefeller, uh, uh, his lineage, not just uh, John D. Rockefeller, and his brother, who was actually also very influential in all this, uh, his he was the John D. Rockefeller was the public face of it, but the whole Rockefeller clan is, is one entity. His son, Nelson Rockefeller, for example, very, very uh, important to the whole cover-up during like the Eisenhower administration and things, making this technology a matter of national security. Uh, suppressing things like anti-gravity, zero-point energy, uh, and also creating government institutionalized medicine and things like uh, the the welfare and uh, health departments. You know, basically putting a federal uh, oversight on matters of intellectual uh, uh, property with the patent office and things. Uh, it's not the fact that that we modern men have been kept from these inventions. It's that these inventions have been kept from us. 
Yeah. And, and it really only takes one generation, right. To, to erase that memory. And, and we see that over and over throughout history that they, they, you know, do this whitewashing, so to speak of the story of the narrative and, and make you think that, you know, things don't exist that used to exist, which is, is mind blowing. You know, like you mentioned the, the, the free energy and, and being able to use the uh, ethereal energy and, and being in tune with nature, they went the opposite route and they wanted to use nature to our benefit and not give anything back naturally. Right. And that's yeah. where, that's that whole oil, you know, and once we get into the whole oil era, that's like you said, it, it involves transportation. It involves education. It involves health and medicine. And it's across the board. They, you find these few families, whether it's Rockefellers, Carnegie's, JP Morgan, all those guys, they colluded and, and basically monopolized the industries to the point where it became, you know, profitable when in fact it, it should be free. Exactly. Like we inherited a world, um, uh, regardless of we were uh you know forced into colonizing it we were chattel we were clones we were orphans we were property uh you know treated like merchant freight or whatever regardless of the nature of the the efforts or the the background of the colonization or the inheritance of the technology the society that we inherited was already designed or planned to be perfect i believe and that it's a um, simple matter of looking at the photographs that we can and we see the photographs of back then there are thousands of people on the street but they're not hungry they're they look well fed they look well hydrated they are typically wearing suits complete with top hats the quality of life in urban environments in the 1800s appears far, far superior to urban life in modern day America. You don't see homeless people. You don't see drug addicts. You don't see um, the third world conditions. Feces on the sidewalk, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and even when they show things like that, like the horses and things, like, you know, you you get the image of a un- of a un, uh, untechnologically advanced society, like say urban London or urban Paris, you would be surprised that there's so little. Uh, famous photos of like a, a dead horse on a street in like you know a ghetto in, in immigrant heavy New York City, for example. You would think that the streets all over the city would be choked with horse corpses, given yeah. how many horses there really are. You know, like you're like, there's got to be millions of horses at any given time in those in those cities. And yet exactly one, maybe two. Like you're absolutely right. For if you look at, like I say, a photo of, um, you know, Chicago in the World's Fair, like you said, over the course of six months, there were 27 million people. There are people standing room only across every avenue, enjoying every aspect of it. But they had facilities for all of them. There weren't reports of, like you said, running out of bathrooms or failure of infrastructure. People weren't getting heat stroke. 
people weren't getting uh, dehydrated. Like, like, are we believed? Are we led to believe these were super people who didn't need the the basic necessities of humans now? Yeah, and like, there's you still know, no trash, right? Exactly. Like, there's not that a were, there, yeah that they were either these people either individually had more willpower and ability and self-discipline to conduct themselves publicly. But you see, you look at a picture now of uh, like say a music concert or, or something, a large gathering, a sports event, you know, and, and see that what, what's left after, you know, there's this cups and there's trash and there's food wrappers, you know, and there's just, you know, all kinds of mayhem and anarchy and you need a lot of security, et cetera. Um, and, and you want us to believe that 27 million people all just effortlessly and seamlessly integrated into, um, you know, but without, without the internet, without any kind of uh, like basically electronic uh, permission, just all reading posters and this kind of, uh, you know, very, see, like it's idyllically remembered because, I, I believe that is the honest representation of it as an idealized utopia where, I mean, the, the missing ingredients, the technology, but like when we remember people back then, or we have a picture in our mind, they're hyper-educated, they're hyper-polite, they're utopian, you know, even though they were born in the 1800s, they're generally idealists and they're generally inventors are like you know um adventurers go-getters right yeah like you know yeah. teddy roosevelt types you were like yeah bully you know like uh like they're they're optimists because i believe that while the story may not be accurate we remember them for being you know um excellent human beings and that's not like a you know, type of uh, idolization. You know, they all had their problems and were humans as well, but they were like, you know, um, they were like gods unto men, basically. And that's why when we see things like uh, the Rockefeller Center or we see things like the Hoover Dam, there are these Greek, Greco-Roman motifs of ancient gr Greek gods and the pantheons. It's because they were of that kind of higher um higher you know uh spiritual merger with the material you know yeah and i think i think the world itself was more connected you know spiritually than than yeah. than we are today for for certain you know i mean you look across the board like you're saying there was there was effort and there was love and labor put into these facilities however they were built there, it, it was not, you know, this, you know, what we get today is brutal architecture. It's that's the name of it. And uh, it, it, it fits it well because it's not aesthetically pleasing and it doesn't have the functionality that the, the structures used to have. So there was they they were a lot more in tune, not only with each other, but with nature itself and the land and, and everything. And it seems like we were that has been erased from us. Exactly. Like uh, in Russia, for example, uh, with the brutalist architecture, we were led to believe that during the czarist era, they were a very primitive and socially backwards people, but they created like the Kremlin 
with the the onion bulb uh, cupolas and the beautiful painted architecture. And then in the Soviet Union era, when they are supposed to be a people of science and modernity, a people who's like have atheist uh, tendencies, uh, state mandated, you know, and enforced, their architecture is these brutalist concrete blocks that are just gray. And like the human soul has been absolutely removed from their city design and their technology is just like weapons. Like, you know, they had difficulty producing basic goods. Like, and and this is supposed to be the most science-based, materialist-based society. You know, the 20th century society. Um, It seems to be that no one can explain why people from the 1800s had such a grasp on futuristic tech and managed to create with their own limited or seemingly limited abilities things that, you know, uh, like they were the first ones to create uh, airships, wireless technology, wireless energy, um, cymatics, uh, AC current, you know, um, and in the 20th century, we're struggling to you know, perfect the very things that we're trying to say make us great. Yeah, we've gone in the opposite direction, right? I mean, like you said, we're struggling with electricity. We're struggling with these things because we're going against the natural way of humanity, right? And and of, of of the planet. And, you know, Earth and it's, and that's another fascinating thing is that you don't only find these buildings in the United States and, and in the larger nations, you see them across South America, Asia, Europe, they're everywhere, even in Africa, right? You're seeing this, this similar architecture style throughout the entire you know, realm. And it, you have to wonder, you know, obviously there were people traveling at that time, but how, how did, or why is it the same across the board? You're trying to tell me the people in South America didn't have their own building style. They had to go with this Greco-Roman, you know, uh, Colosseum-like structures. It just, oh, it just doesn't make sense. The South American. Oh, the South American Latin American development is even more mysterious besides uh, it's, it's always good to start with America or with Europe because that gives people references and frames of mind. Uh, Europe, for example, France is a great one to discuss. Like, where do the French ca- catacombs come from? Like, really? Uh, where do the millions of corpses really come from? And why are there typically only skulls? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like these are important. Like, there are miles, hundreds of miles or kilometers of catacombs in France, and also Mexico City. And Mexico City is very important to discuss as well because it's supposed to be built on Tignoctalon, the uh, the ancient capital of the Aztecs. Now, like we said, we believe that these cities, these urban structures are inherited. They're not constructed, but they're inherited. Now, Tignoctalon and all representation was built on a lake. Like they were floating houseboats, basically. Mm-hmm. Yet the pyramids were like the, the hard points, like the, the islands were pyramids. Yet they're finding and discovering ruins 
in the 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 earthwork, the foundations of Mexico all the time. So were these dropped into the lake, or are we led to believe one version of reality over the facts that the Aztecs probably just had a city that was as big as modern day Mexico City? Yeah, it, well, and, and that goes for the Native Americans as well, in terms right? Of the population or a term. Yes. Yeah, like they don't want to tell us that they basically just just in, moved into. The, so Native Americans um, were, are either highly fictionalized, or they are um, terribly underestimated and underreported in their abilities because we have the mound builders in Mississippi, but like. Only in Latin America do we have true pyramid building or, or um, city building levels of development and society. We, we're not to believe that no society in Canada, no tribe in Canada, no tribe in Alaska or North America was able to build cities like well, comparable to Europeans. Yeah, and which that's, is blatantly that, untrue. That's yeah, that's what they want you to believe. But there were yeah. there were Indian tribes that had plantations. Exactly. You know, I mean, you look at oh, some of the wine cellars, yeah, like luxury construction that people don't talk about. They had temples, and they've been they have found Hebrew temples, and they found Welsh and ruins and like Viking ruins on like it's a mixture of our history that they don't want you to tell it that they want you to know, which is more accurate, was that the discovery of the new world is completely fictitious Mm -hmm. the new world has been a colony or been colonized since the ancient days of ancient egypt or even older uh this is arguably atlantis you know um and that's been highly sophisticated with a larger population with a larger uh technological state than europe or the middle east or africa ever has been and its only rival is like ancient china yeah now the great reset is where people can where they can ask well how is this possible and yes historically historically they'll they're back everything is backed up regardless of the details with the stats and they'll say to your face like yes it, it, yes there used to be a hundred million people living in north america and then they mysteriously all died like they'll say there were more people living in north america than in europe especially spain but by the time of christopher columbus the great dying occurred and it went from 75 million to 100 million to 10 uh, to only 10 percent remaining so 7 million for the entire north and south continent basically south america yep um what that what that tells you is that the country was mostly empty. I mean, they, they, they'll admit that, that, that for the large part, Americans, like settlers were just walking around a desolate, empty, barren country. They don't want you to tell, they don't want you to know the fact that it wasn't disease, smallpox or war or anything that the white man brought. It was a cataclysm that occurred, a natural cataclysm the source of which is still ambiguous, but we can suspect, you know, with, with, with uh, accurate, you know, reasons, you know, we can, we can get a very likely suspect down uh, through debate and through, uh, you know, detective skills. 
but something occurred which not only killed you know 90% of the population of North America and South America at the time but also buried most of the uh, civilizations buried most of the architecture yeah and that's a fascinating idea right is is that there was this great cataclysm that we have not been told about and and there's multiple avenues you can go down and and one of the ones that I've been looking into or I'm about to start diving into a little deeper is is the uh Tecumseh's comet or Napoleon's comet from uh what was it 1811 and this comet was supposedly in the air, you know, circling for months at a, you know, we're talking like six to eight months. It was up there invisible. And then all of a sudden it disappeared, but it didn't come down to earth. You know, I, I, I just find it fascinating. And right around this time, you have the great uh, new Madrid earthquake right down in, in, in Missouri. And, and that, you know, that has to have some impact. And, you know, I don't know. Are you familiar with the Carolina Bays? Yes, actually. Yes, I am. And um, a good point to make, too, is that the Great Lakes of Michigan and Canada and that area um, are recent enough to basically like a Stonehenge formation with like Paleolithic art was discovered on rocks that were discovered on the bottom of Lake Michigan. I saw that recently. Yeah, those are recent. No, you're absolutely right. Something happened that filled the country full of water in places that normally it wasn't. And there's evidence for that, like the Carolina Bays. Yeah. Which could be asteroid impacts. You're absolutely right. Like little craters. Yep. Um, And the New Madrid Fault is very interesting because when it uh, occurred, they want you to believe that America was unpopulated, but it was an 8.5 earthquake on the Richter scale. And it occurred uh, near the Mississippi River, and the Mississippi River reversed its flow. And uh, if it had occurred today, it's likely that 60 million people would be affected by it. And mm-hmm. I mean that that means like their their coastal Mississippi uh, cities would be, you know, absolutely destroyed. It's rumored to be as likely and as a severe a national disaster looming over America as the Yellowstone uh, Supercadova. Mm-hmm. The New Madrid Fault. People don't know that. It's a ticking time bomb. And, and Historically, I, it went off before and it will go off again. And it, it's, it's bigger than like the San Andrea or San Andreas Fault. But it's, yes. a, it's in a highly populated uh, Mississippi Valley area. Yeah, Ohio, and- uh, all that area. Yep. Yeah. And I I think you greatly understated that because the Mississippi River changed directions. Think about that. Think about the energy and the force required to make that massive river change directions. And and that's documented, folks. That's that's not something we're just pulling out of our our head right here. The Mississippi River changed directions. And, And just think about that for a second. I mean, that in itself should tell you that something massive occurred and that, you know, and you look at a lot of these structures and, and where are they built? They're built like on hills, right. Or, you know, a decline. And and they want you to believe that, Oh yeah, we just built into the ground. You know, we built basements intentionally when you didn't need to, 
I mean, it just doesn't, it, it, there, there's, there's so much evidence, you know, related to people call it the mud flood or whatever. Yeah. I'll um, just say that the terminology is the mud flood and the mud flood science is very interesting too. Do you know about uh, soil liquefaction? Yes. Yes. I think people at home need to understand that that's a reality. It's absolutely real that if you hit soil with a vibrational frequency and like, a, like, you know, for long enough at a certain level of intensity, it will turn to a liquid medium in essence, basically acting like water flowing as freely as water, displacing foundations and, um, it can resolidify in an instant as soon as that frequency is ended. It's not a long-term uh, flood, like you know, where, where it's easily it can form right back over or whatever it buried, as if though it was never there. And whole city blocks can be affected by it. They're like sinkholes, but they don't leave any evidence. Yeah, you, it would almost be the texture of like a, what you would imagine quicksand would be, right? Yes. But again, there's video of them in Japan, for example, in the last earthquake where cars are buried, but the soil is hard enough for people to walk back on it again. And they're walking over what was once their, you know, their, their driveway, but now it's swallowed up their car through liquid soilification. So when we say mud flood and buried it, it's not like the buildings would be easily recoverable it's not like they simply need to dry out they would literally be buried you know swallowed by the earth in in a near instant now the vibrational frequencies uh traditionally are caused by earthquakes but they can be caused by direct energy as a weapon they can be caused by uh volcanoes uh, subterranean activity, uh, like I said, meteorites, comet strikes, maybe. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the possibilities are endless. Now, the suspect that I always like to think about is direct energy. Antiquitech. We know these people had the grid. We know that Tesla had the grid. So people in the 1800s could have easily have devised, especially those who did not limit themselves, limit their imaginations or their inventiveness. And those who strived for the best and, you know, of all possible goods for everyone would encourage the development of it. Right. Not for those that sought only their profits. Um, So society back then, I think, was very much like you said. Um, at a state of like uh, absolute wirelessness, absolute, uh, you know, uh, etheric pulling free energy from the atmosphere through towers, through the very buildings themselves. Um, this is seen in a lot of the, the like you said, the, the cathedrals, the quote unquote cathedrals, which actually can be interpreted to be powerhouses or generators. Yeah. And actually I'm, I'm reading a book right now called the sacred net uh, sacred network by Chris Hardy. And it's about megaliths, cathedrals, ley lines, and, and like shared consciousness over and it mainly, mainly uh, deals with France, but mm-hmm. yeah, you look at that and, and, and what he says is, you know, there, there's two waves, right? There's an a wave 
and a, 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 a G, uh, what they call them A spot and G spot. A spot is a, a, a longer wave that will go above ground, right? That's at, it, it'll hit the building and then go above it. It'll get to the next building and go above it. So it's kind of a wave flow. And then you have the G spot, which is a ground or below ground level. And, and that travels in a direct straight line. And, and what they're finding is these buildings were able to utilize and harness these, these waves and, and, you know, with the way the building was designed, that it would incorporate this into the structure. And, you know, especially with the cathedrals, they, many of them were not religious structures when they originally built, they were healing centers. And, you know, one of the things that our our wonderful Roman Catholic church does is they uh, like to co-opt the story and say, oh, this was all greatness done by us. When in reality, you look at the you know, like the, the rose windows and you, the, the, the way the buildings are designed, right? Where the, op- the middle is open and everything's on the side and the arches and it's all structurally conducive to being a conductor. Oh, yes. And uh, I have a bone to pick with the Catholic Church as well because of their, like you said, they're like hermit crabs. They came in, uh, obviously just, just rushed absolutely mad rushed and uh used their own wealth to basically purchase and acquire all these old cathedrals and then co-opt them like you said uh, we're led to believe that in america in the 1800s the catholics were strong enough to build like you know saint peter's basilica in new york city or you know they had basically every major city has one of these cathedrals or multiple multiple yeah you said and and uh, some of them, like in Spain, the cathedrals are under construction and with current methods cannot be completed. The famous, um, um, oh, what's that? Oh, the, the, Sagrada. Yeah, the the one, you know, that very famous Spanish cathedral that's super artsy. Yeah, it's, it's like Sagrada. Very, they've been working on it for 30 years. They've been working on it for much longer than that. Uh, that was, that was uh, constructed before the Spanish Civil War. And it's it's still under construction because they cannot complete it, you know, without the the so-called genius who designed it because he died midway. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny you mentioned that one because I got into a little battle battle on Instagram over that with a guy who goes, well, you can just look on the Internet and they'll tell you exactly what's going on with the construction. I said, yeah, they'll they'll tell you one version of it, but you have to look at this. Exactly. Like he, like there is this idea that well, because they have an answer for it, that's the answer that's right. Yeah. And you're like, do you understand the 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 logical contradiction of saying that they cannot complete a cathedral with modern technology while they were building cathedrals literally by hand in the dark ages? With pulleys and levers, right? Because there was no mechanical exactly. instruments. Just yeah. monks and some rope and like maybe a couple of donkeys. And then you and, and, and look at the size of the castles. stones, right? You they were at... able to build castles and like, like you said, the catacombs. They were able to build Roman architects like aqueducts and, and highways and coliseums and pantheons. And they were able to do this without one single motorized engine, one single pneumatic crane, or one single 
like you know uh computer yeah like yeah. no calculator not nothing like that it was just guys abacuses and plum square plum lines and like t squares like just a bunch of freemasons you know yep. and secret handshakes just fucking building the world i guess <laughs> like well, are we really that gullible to well, believe and- that they could build star forts back in a day when they did when men wore pantyhose and powdered wigs but we can't build a star fort like thing without you know is that like we can't build a cathedral in 30 years well it, yeah and but the star forts were just to uh to counter cannon fire right oh I mean- yes of course the star fort is merely to to combat spanish mercenaries that's that's another that's one I got in a battle. I got like in, New Mexico. Yeah, I got in a battle with another guy about star forts on that. And he's like, well, I've done I've been researching them for 10 years. And, you know, all they are are military installations, nothing more, nothing less. He's like, and if you want me to explain it to you, I'd be happy to. And I I haven't hooked up with the guy yet, but I, I'm dying to hear his side of it because I went to his page and he's one of those, you know, take your shot trust joe biden people so uh, i'm like oh you're a narrative sucker right away man i, I it's going to be a fun discussion that's for sure there's no reason it, exactly those are the those are the foot soldiers of the machine right there that's who they wanted to make and that's who we have to deal with now like they're little they're little like wind up uh clockwork people and man, like that's one of those things. Like people don't even understand the technology of the shit they're talking about. Like they're all built on waterways, much like power generators are. Yes. they're all built um, for you know much more complex reasons than is that making sure making sure the Spanish don't fucking show up one day. Like oh no, it's the French. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> da, 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 da. it's like blue. And the cannons, like, do you know cannons are a rabbit hole in themselves? I'm with you. Every single cannon we have, not one person really understands, like, how they're maintained or how they were maintained so well to be used in war when they're extremely heavy, they're unwieldy, and firing them almost guarantees they they break under their own pressure. And, like the simple construction of a cannon itself is a massive undertaking that like, like surely like people don't realize both how many cannons there are and, and just the, like the logistics behind them, including cannonballs and things like that. Like, um, it, it's absolutely kind of fascinating that we take everything for granted the way we do. Yeah, and it's amazing because they say they they trudge these things along the battlefield, right? And and supposedly Napoleon brought them from France all the way over to Russia by you know on the ground and things like. And it's like it just doesn't make any sense. And then you get into the you know the battle side of it. Think about what kind of damage it would do to people's brain, ears, body. If you have a row of cannons and they're all going off success successively, you know, like it's just going to blow people's eardrums, if not make your head pop off. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions when it comes to cannon and cannon fire and the feasibility of it. Like the Ottoman Turks had like a cannon that was like 100 feet long, like 
like there's there's so much weirdness about cannons exactly like the idea that the cannons um you know it, it, it's just he said the way that they're just so massive man like it's like yeah i don't know if you've ever seen a cannon in real life like just the uh, idea oh i've seen that, one fire before and it is you know it, yeah they come in different sizes but man i've seen some naval guns and i was just like what the fuck and they were like yeah it's like a like a 50 pound like shell yeah 50 pound ball in there. yeah and you're like man and you're they, like yeah, the, that's, this was not warfare for people. This was something else. And the cannons themselves could have been um, intended for a different purpose entirely. Entirely. Like construction or demolition or um, like some people have even theorized a vortex type of cannon, a sound cannon. Yeah, like a frequency but, weapon. Yes. And, and that, um, you know, this frequency agenda uh, to get back to that kind of point where I was going to make about the, the mud flood is that uh, they, these people, because they were technologically advanced, were not primitive, but they were fighting with direct energy weapons. They were fighting with what we would know as uh, geoengineering, direct, like dues, um, controlled electrical storms, uh, EMPs, um, attacking each other's grids, or maybe even um trying to experiment with with different ways of pioneering these sciences and maybe through a great calamity either natural with like maybe like you said uh napoleon's comets or with um uh, nibiru that's that's another postulated planet x uh, type of cosmic threat or phenomenon maybe extraterrestrial contact something happened uh, their technology could have gone haywire. An experiment, maybe into quantum mechanics, caused some kind of chain reaction where the grid overloaded. And that overload shook the topsoil of North America and much of South America, too, you know, into a liquefied state and thus basically entombing everything that was built on a on a soil foundation not everything because most like i said most of the cities that we've discovered were on top of what mountains rocky Mm. mountains um i actually believe like the cities in the grand canyon were perfectly preserved um and and there's rumors that there there's a lot of egyptian relics in the grand canyon well the egyptian uh aesthetic needs to be questioned because um maybe the Egyptians originated in North America and they were colonizing Africa in where we know as the great pyramids. Uh, Remember the great pyramids were ancient, even with Cleopatra. Yes. Like, like that is a, that is ancient, ancient. So I'm saying like that could have been the world that the, the, the forerunners that we are discussing from this uh, 19th century cataclysm uh, that they inherited, you know, that's like, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like that's, that I think is the true legacy of North America is that we were actually historical ancient Egypt. Um, Like I said, this is Atlantis. This is a much more civilized and 
sophisticated uh, uh, hemisphere than than will ever be acknowledged. And it seems like more of a melting pot, too, that they lead you to believe, you know, with the Moors having a presence here. Obviously, the Vikings were here. Uh, you know, the Egyptians, as you mentioned, the Romans, I'm, I'm sure were here or, you know, the Phoenicians, whoever Romans have been discovered. The Romans uh, ships and uh, sculptures and pottery were discovered in Brazil. That is absolutely the case. The Romans have been discovered in, in North America. Uh, in ancient Egypt, some of the mummies have been discovered with cocaine. Really? Which only grows in, in South America. Yep. Yes, that, there has been evidence. Uh, do you know ancient China explored the New World? Um, there were Chinese anchors discovered outside of the coast uh, where my my hometown is. I live oh, in really? Corpus Christi, Texas, which is on the Gulf of Mexico. And at the Gulf of Mexico, uh, the entrance to the bay, they discovered Chinese anchors from... Um, uh, th- there's an admiral, admiral. Uh, I'm probably gonna butcher this, Shing, uh, and uh, he had the largest ships ever made by wood, and they s- apparently circumnavigated the globe, traveling along all the coasts, because how else would they get anchors off the coast of the local Texas beach? If they didn't go all the way up South America. Yeah, you can't cut across Mexico. Not with exactly. a ship. Like, you can't cut across. They didn't carry them, right? They didn't no. like walk. <laughs> so they must have got into a very nuanced part of the Gulf of Mexico, you know, above, above Acapulco or the Yucatan, but below the Mississippi Delta. But this must have been simply one part of their journey. And no doubt they traveled, you know, to Florida. No doubt they traveled, uh, you know, above as well. Um, the the extent of discovery, like you said, Vikings colonized North America for 500 years, according to mainstream. Um, why would they ever leave? And why wouldn't they ever colonize further? Um, there is a lot of an, uh, similarity, for example, between Aztec culture and Norse culture. Yes. And that uh, Quetzalcoatl could be an interpretation of Odin. I like that. I'm all about that. Yes. Well, like the Mormons, the Mormons believe that the Hebrews uh, traveled to uh, the new America on arcs, these gigantic arcs during the great flood times. Now this sounds crazy until you see that there's been a lot of discoveries of Hebrew temples, like in Michigan that mm-hmm. are like 400 years old. And you're right, like that's not concurrent with like biblical times. But then again, we got to start being more skeptical as to when that was actually written and who actually wrote it. Um, And by it, I mean the concept of the Christian Bible, the King James Version. Yeah. Because I'm ready to question everything. And I think the King James Version of the Bible is a false history narrative written by Freemasons. Uh, specifically pioneered by Rockefeller and printed by his uh, the, like American Christianity, the evangelical movement, and its prioritization of the King James Version of the Bible, which is itself written by a Freemason. King James of Scotland was a Freemason. 
is hook, line, and sinker, you know, the the catalyst for how they can brainwash a huge amount of the population by simply saying, well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, and, and it's interesting about that, the, the King James Bible, because the, the gentleman that actually wrote it was a guy named Richard Bancroft. No, and, Bancroft, that's the name of the asshole who wrote all the histories. Ah, yeah, see, so, and, and I, I just came across that, uh, you know, probably about a month ago, and I've been trying ever since to make a connection between the two, because there has to be one, and Richard Bancroft just so happened to be a Jesuit, so... I mean, it's history is so corrupt and even the Bible itself. I mean, think about how many books were taken out, how many books were removed. And, and, and you know, it's just a co-opted novel that you have to question everything. And that gets you into the then into the timeline itself and, you know, the way the events occurred. And if you if you go along the lines of, a, of Anatoly Fomenko, who claims that, you know, a lot of the Roman Empire was just duplicated based on a previous uh, set of Roman rulers. I mean, and, and yeah. I had a post or the other day. Or the Phantom Timeline. No, yes. but do go on about the Roman rulers. Because well, no, the that's, Phantom that, Timeline coincides with that. That's exactly it. And what he's saying essentially is, is that it's about a 300-year period where they just basically took rulers from a previous era, changed their names. But if you look at it, the story is almost identical. So in, in the first reign, if there was a ruler who ruled for 25 years, in the second go-round, they would say, oh, the ruler was about 23 years. Or if there were three, a triumvirate at the time, there just so happened to be a triumvirate in this next era of Roman. And, and it, it, it's spot on. I mean, you look at it and for, and it, it's about, I think it's about 20, uh, about 30 rulers where they just, you know, it looks like they just rewrote their story and changed the name. Exactly. And, and people don't, people who are very skeptical of people who are very academic and and focused on the institutions of higher learning as authorities right aka mostly everybody right um they always say the same things if if so many people like researched it why would they all agree on the lie and it's because people don't realize that internationally most schools most universities most academies which for example, only exist in the West for the most part, right? Or are modeled after the West, existed in Freemasonic controlled societies, especially societies controlled by Bavarian Illuminati. And and the Jesuits. And their mission statement was to destroy the old world. And we interpret that as to be the world of the Holy Roman Catholic Empire. But even though the Holy Roman Catholic Empire is part of this New World Order Illuminati didn't exist until Mussolini made the Vatican like a place. You know, it's as real as Israel is a real country in terms of it's literally a made up place that politicians created to get the respect of people, you know, who who honestly cared more about their religious faith than they ever did anything to do with politics. 
And and if you really believe it's religious faith, I get a bridge to sell you. <laughs> exactly. Well, like the, the in the Vatican when they when they institutionalized the Vatican, um, pilgrims were encouraged to flock from all around the world. But there is no mention of the Vatican existing geograph- geographically there. It is simply a a uh, thing people accept. Like there is no Vatican historically. There really isn't. Like there was at one point three concurrent popes or three simultaneous popes. The sk- the Catholic Church has had many schisms, right? Many reinventions. Resets. And, and, and the Vatican that exists now was simply an apparatus of the Italian fascist government. You yeah. know, and it really was created by Mussolini. He was like, you're now the new pope. I'm going to give you Vatican City, which is this uh, piece of property near Rome. And um, it's a tax haven. And and you guys uh, can basically make everyone not want to kill me for a couple of more years. <laughs> which it's literally... Uh, like a pacification of all these traditional rural people types, which um, is which is also the template for DC, right? Exactly, it, yep. it's a fake uh, a cult created by the uh, Freemasonic Illuminati, and then said it's historical, but it has no real historical roots. DC, perfect example. Uh, we're led to believe that this swampy. Um, boondock backwater became the capital of the free world and we're, we're totally not allowed to believe the truth which is it's a specifically designed occult city that was inherited and all the monuments and all the relics were not american but created because of this previous pagan society uh, a society that had a god figure that we call George Washington now. Yeah, but he's represented as literally Zeus. Well, yeah, and he's he's on the apocrypha, right? The apocrypha of, of Washington, or on yeah. the uh, the ceiling. That picture they have him, you know, all masoned out, and it, yeah, it's that's what I'm saying that the Freemasons want us to believe that that's really an American invention. And it's not, it's an ancient, even Freemasonic rituals are an ancient invention that have their roots in King Solomon. So while they don't want you to think that they want you to think it's new and it's not like, they want you to think that the, uh, the, the, this Capitol and the Senate building were designed that way because Thomas Jefferson had a boner for like neoclassical architecture. He didn't build Monticello, you know, like no one ever looks at the money and just says, why are there so many like like pillars and fasci and things like that are that are intrinsic to the heraldry of the American state? The Um, obelisk. Yes. uh, uh, Have you ever been to like, say, for example, the Lincoln Monument or the Lincoln Memorial? Sorry. Yep. The Lincoln Memorial is a weird as fuck building. And um, not only that, the, the paintings and the mosaics inside with the inscriptions, it's it's very Egyptian. Oh, totally. Yeah. You look at it and it, it, it is. I always wondered that when I went in there. I'm like, why is it? 
and that's the feel you get. You get a feel like you're in looking at Egyptian instead of what should be American, right? If if you're led to believe, if you the had told me Lincoln was a pharaoh who freed the slaves, like Moses, I would believe you. Because in there, I believe the inscription is where he's, he's the, the Emancipation Proclamation, right? Where, you know, he's saying that all men are free and that slavery is basically ended. And that the image is of like Moses and like the reeds. Yes. And, shit. and I mean, like, as I'm saying, like the idea of our heraldry is very biblical. It's very religious. It's very um, occult. Yeah. And they want you to believe that that's because of what we did. And I think that's because of what we inherited. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. And that, that gets into Washington, too, with the mm-hmm. whole narrative of Washington chopping down the cherry tree. And, you know, looking at that, the more I, I've dug in and, and read about it, that is the cherry tree is a representation of the Moors. And that was basically him getting rid of the Moors and the Moorish power in America. Um, and we've been calling the Cherokee. Yes. No, no, absolutely. I agree that we, that we call it the Tecumseh. Like you said, the Tecumseh uh, Comet. Yep. Um, that the, that like the turtle nation. Well, yeah. And, we, and, and, and the Cherokee. Yeah. We, we think of them as the red man. Yes. But really like it's all language games. Right. And you're right that they were just the darker skinned natives or, or aboriginals, which the Moors, like you said, were, and which did not want to submit to European rule. Yep. And, and where were the Cherokees based out of? Rome, Georgia. Georgia. You know, that gets you to start thinking about the whole phrase <laughs> of all ro- roads lead to Rome, right? I mean, if, if their nation, the Cherokee nation, was based in Rome, Georgia, that's, that's quite a coincidence, if you ask me. Well, like you, you said before that there was a lot of more influence in Native and Central America. Um, I think that there's a big importance to talk about how Native Americans viewed race in itself and the different like strangenesses that even in uh, the accounts that you know you can find, there are um, white-skinned, blue-eyed Indians, usually with fair hair, are reported all the time. Um, you know, the, the the clear thing is, oh, Roanoke, you know, these are Roanoke survivors. Um, the Native Americans themselves thought that there were four races on Earth, white, black, red, and yellow. The languages of the Western tribes, uh, specifically those of the American Southwest, weirdly enough, are closer to Japanese than they are to uh latin languages for example yes um the phenotypes are more asiatic or mongolian or mongoloid than is explainable like it doesn't really make a lot of sense that's the case either and not only that but animals uh across the world that are traditionally thought of as not american actually have their origins in america including rhinoceroses uh giraffes and uh camels 
that people don't realize that that while we think camels are not American, camels originated in America. So did rhinos. So did uh, mammoths, like elephants. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah, and animals were brought to those places. Exactly, and that's that's where I like going is that it was brought there and it, from here, right? And and that's that's something that a lot of people can't wrap their head around or even consider. Uh, because they've been so indoctrinated with the narrative of, you know, that you're presented and it gets back to the whole idea of, of that Rockefeller control, you know, they, they want this, their narrative to be told and, and regardless of what the facts may uncover now, what is a blessing is this age of the internet with us being able to share information and, go at least now we can still read old texts from the 1800s and have access to some of this material where you can easily discount or discredit the narrative from those texts but on the other hand those texts are not abundantly you know available so most common people that aren't looking for it are never going to come across it i think the best thing that is going on right now on YouTube is actually not even about this specifically, but it's the DIY videos about say how to run a car on, you know, water, uh, salt water, how to run um, your house on, you know, solar power, you know, uh, how to create, you know, local Wi-Fi networks. There are these little DIY videos, right? Yep. That talk about high tech solutions that are available to everyone with low tech means this is doing wonders because um you know i grew up in a world where a water-powered car was considered a conspiracy it was considered a a science fiction element right like water-powered vehicles uh we need oil and gasoline no we have now access to legit global you know education like tutorials and things for how to create a motorcycle or gas-powered engine that runs through uh electrolysis with you know a bottle of water and with wiring like it's actually and so you can you can see where i'm going is this is going to make it more acceptable for people to understand that societies did not have to have the technology we have to have the technology that was a possible, you know, that, that they did have like the, the wireless systems, the water power generating systems to explain their fountains and their, their canals and their river or coastal based societies um, like Starforce, for example, that they didn't, they weren't knuckle draggers. They weren't, they had just the means at their disposal enough to solve these high tech problems and to produce high tech solutions. Well, and you mentioned it before, cymatics, right? And yeah. that's a that's a huge item that is starting to finally gain some ground and gain some speed in 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 the the community because that you know look especially when it ties to Starforts, you start looking at the ability that that cymatics by using frequency and vibration or by using vibration you can create a certain frequency and emit a certain frequency. And, and obviously, you know, for those that aren't aware, they're depending on frequency, 
different shapes occur naturally. And, yeah. and if you think about humans, what are we? We're about 60 to 70% water, which means we are extremely susceptible to frequency vibration. And, and which leads you into look at what is all around us now. You have these 5G towers, you have Wi-Fi in your house, you carry around a, a radiating cell phone, and it's all unnatural uh, radiation and, and frequency that we're absorbing. Whereas back then, you know, going back to even the cathedrals, it seemed like those were a spot of healing, you know, those giant massive organs and, and the different cymatic shaped windows that would give off frequencies and, and that could be used to heal humans and help humanity as opposed to today where basically we're destroying it. I think the that society that we are speaking about, I don't think actually went extinct. I think simply either moved into a subterranean capacity or actually purely elevated into a airborne society or maybe even colonized uh, something of a combination of both. And, you know, maybe, like you said, sensitive to frequencies are ethically obliged to um, rectify maybe some ecological damage it felt responsible for. Uh, like, maybe forfeited these old territories in, 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 in favor of another, you know, less obvious one to us who are the true primitives. You know, we basically come from a time and you look at, let's say, for example, how the Native Americans or how Oriental cultures viewed European traders and merchants where we were considered very primitive socially, hygiene wise, spiritually, you know, we were repulsive, like, you know, how the Japanese described uh, Westerners, um, very repulsive and obnoxious and on all the senses that for all we know, we were allowed to inherit these properties. You know, for all we know, maybe it's not because we're, maybe we're not thinking about it in the correct way. Like they didn't create their own extinction or were unable to prevent it. Maybe, maybe they are actually still here and we are simply coming to terms with that, with this new, um possession of ours as a culture now as diabolical as say like the rockefellers or the secret societies are um ultimately it does seem like we are getting that technology in time the wireless tech like you said the 5g towers going up the 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 green energy the 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 renewable energy sources um you know, maybe we're getting control back from those who have hijacked it. But, you know, it, it, there's a lot of open ending. Like, for every answer you get, you get a hundred more questions. And, oh, and yeah. I actually don't think that a society this advanced would fall victim to anything. I think that, um, like you said, cymatics could explain UFOs. Uh, the grid system could explain things like the Bermuda Triangle um ley lines for example that's a known energy source and ufos use ley lines like highways 
this is proven statistically proven with UFO reports. Yeah. And you look at, you know, one way I, I, I call it is uh, what they've tried to do in the last, I don't know, 200 plus years is geo necromancy, right? They're trying to destroy the natural grid that I, I believe existed, you know, between the buildings and, and it was a natural grid that worked together across the earth, right? As opposed to now where you look at a, a cityscape and it looks like a motherboard of a computer. And, you know, you think about the word electricity, it's electric city. And, yes. and so we're being pushed out of that natural. And if you, you look, you, you know, you go across the different wars and, the world's fairs and things like that. And that's almost like the, the intention of the, those were to destroy any remnants of the old world. Um, you know, whether it's Sherman's March during the civil war, whether it's, you know, any name, pick a world fair, any of them, you know, world war one and world war two were to finish off Europe and, and parts of Asia. And well, it's very interesting that you said war world war two and England because uh, in War II, a lot of British architecture was destroyed and was uh, removed. And like mysteriously, a fountain from what they called the Crystal Palace is located in Dallas, Texas. Yep. Like it's strange that while they said these wars destroy this this stuff, I believe it's actually redistributed or are covered up they use those as uh, excuses um the bombing of the the old world like you said to intentionally destroy it that could be ultimately the purpose of all these wars like uh sherman's march the, the you know the the burning of a huge swath of old south right um if not to intentionally destroy this architecture, maybe it was to provide an excuse as to explain why there were so many burnt, destroyed cities in a linear path, mm -hmm. like asteroid impact that occurred over what would be several states worth of area. And then like the civil war itself is very much like a, you know, it, it's I don't think it happened. I really don't, to be to be very honest. I, I certainly I, don't think it happened the way that it's been told to us. That's for sure. No, I, I can't believe I think, that narrative. No, that, that that what happened was what we need to know is language and what language the propaganda and the narrative and to make like a long conspiracy very short. What we call the union, quote unquote was the Federalist alliance with the European powers, specifically the Catholic Church and France. Uh, they were going to seize the South, you know, to, to create, a, you know, um, this neo-Catholic New World Empire, right? The Catholics provided the foot soldiers and the Irish and the immigrants that would uh, be the Union's backbone, right? And the South themselves were the... I guess you would call it the survivors of this old world system. The, the, the old world system that, uh, you know, they were defending. Now, we've 
created this narrative about slavery, but uh, that is obviously just to provide this like hyper emotional lens to it. It's like the Holocaust. Yeah. The truth is it it's it's uh, a given holy war status, right? Like, well, the Union had to fight the Civil War and the South was evil because of this slavery issue, which is very bad and terrible. But if you look at it from a different perspective, and that was it was traditional um, from from colonies era American families who had legitimate claim and stake to territory and land and natural rights. And they were being literally uh, forcefully conquered by European mercenaries under the disguise of a newly created government. That's basically saying, what if the new world order just showed up to wherever you lived and decided to wage war on the population at large and then only achieve victory when it burned a pathway <laughs> through your heavily industrialized areas, you know, in a total war and raised your cities to the ground and created millions of homeless people. Yeah. And then and- fucked up your economy. Exactly. Like, they were actually irreparably fucked up your economy. And, and then uh, people don't even talk about the reconstruction, which was the, divide and conquer tactics over the next i think it was uh damn near 50 years where the south was basically under martial law yep and and that's what i'm saying like it wasn't over just because after you know three years they signed a peace treaty and no no johnny rebs anymore like the, the entire idea of the occupation of the south is very similar to the occupation of Afghanistan or the occupation of Iraq or the occupation of uh, Algeria by the French. It's one of those very classic, you know, like England and Ireland, like they may look the same and they share a language, but they do not see eye to eye on anything. And this, the history of the South told from the South point of view is, um, exactly like the history of the the tartarian empire the the ancient world that they were here for hundreds of years um and it's basically because of that because they have such contradictory uh, uh, uh histories and narratives that they have to be treated as evil like fundamentally evil because of the society that they that they exist in or or uh, society that they perpetuate and it's like, uh, you know, it's one of the greatest uh, propaganda uh, efforts in the history of mankind is to is to push the myth of the Civil War. Yes. And slavery. Right. If you think about that, I mean, the, the whole concept of slave ships and the feasibility of that is suspect at best in the numbers that they say. And then you look at a guy like John Lynch, who supposedly, you know, not supposedly, but it's documented. He was sending blacks from America to Africa, you know, so so it's, you know, absolutely. Yeah. The narrative is very, very flawed. And, And like you said, they they always find a way to put this twist on it where you cannot question it right if you question slavery you're a racist if you question the holocaust you're anti-semitic 
without, you know, and, 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 and it's an automatic attack and name calling rather than being able to discuss it. And they put it, they, they make it so people so emotionally invested in this to think that, you know, how could you question what happened to these poor people? Well, yeah, I get it. And I, I sympathize with those who did suffer, but it's not the story that we've been told. Well, a lot of it's weird too. Like, okay. So, um, the entire notion of the Confederacy is after the fact created to create more of a threat of a unified slave owning South rather than the diverse and rather non um, cooperative um, South and Southern states as they were. People think there was this unified Confederate superpower. They didn't make more than a billion dollars GDP-wise, the entire South put together. And the North was making well over, I believe, two or three billion dollars. It was at least three times as much. Exactly. The, the number of trains was, was you know, just indicative of the industrial might and advancement of the North compared to what it was like a rather um, – it was just like how when America invaded Afghanistan. Like it was like on paper – just a one-sided Goliath, you know, conquest of a people who uh, only had the legal claim to their land because they had inherited it. And it was one of those things where, yes, even in America, that's how America was founded. The West was conquered and purchased from Mexico after the United States attacked and invaded Mexico and sieged Mexico City. Uh, the Louisiana Purchase Everyone thinks that was done at a goodwill. Uh, that was done because the French couldn't operate in the Caribbean because the Americans kept attacking their ships with pirates. Yep. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, like people need to. Like Thomas Jefferson oversaw that. What do you think the War of eighteen twelve was? Well, that and the that... British burned down Washington D.C. because we were violating international maritime treaty laws. And, and 1812 is a fascinating time, too. I mean, just before I go there, the, the whole concept of the Confederacy, too, that was hijacked from the natives, right? I mean, that, that whole idea, the, the, there was the Indian no, Native. Go ahead. The natives were just as big of an enemy to the Union as the Confederates were. And the yes. Civil War turned into the Indian Wars. Where Custer, Custer, for example, famously got his experience in the Civil War and then would go to bended knee, Arundini. The entire idea of the United States Army or the United States existing is not understood in the Civil War. Most of the territory of the United States continent, the continental United States, was still owned by Native Americans. Yes. Like, still absolutely owned by Native Americans. Same thing with the Revolutionary War. People think that it was only Americans in England. George Washington engaged in more conflicts and skirmishes with Native American tribes for the eight years of the Re Revolutionary War than he did with British forces. Yep, that's the so chopping down of the cherry tree. Exactly. He was still making time, even though he was in the middle of a revolution, to fight Native Americans who were allied with the British. Yeah, and, and then you yeah. go to 1812, right? And that's a fascinating timeline, too, because some would even say that was World War Zero because you had, you know, the Napoleonic War with Russia going on over in Europe. And then over here, you had basically 
America and the French fighting against the British. And it's almost as if that was the, the first world war, but we're led to believe it's two separate wars. Well, there have been, I think, somewhere estimated around seven true world wars with only two bearing the name. And most of them occurred during the colonization of the New World between Britain and France. Yep. Now, the Caribbean and, and everything were obviously hot spots for it with between Spain, Britain, and France. But people also forget that the Caribbean at the time made more money than the North American colonies. And Britain firmly controlled Canada. So the, the idea that North America is dominated by the United States or by the American people is historically inaccurate, which is something that people need to understand fully also with this conspiracy theory of this Great Reset is that the American identity, you know, Bald Eagle, Columbia, the Great Goddess of Progress, Capitalism and Industry, you know, that started from 13 colonies and was a minority and has slowly over the course of several centuries expanded first legally identifying itself through conflict, but expanding outward through war, through skirmish, through conflict, through aggression and hostility. It has never peacefully been invited anywhere. It's very much the same. Like say, So it started with bloodshed, right? And it had to, forcefully take over this land it would have no intention of telling the truth for anything it discovered it would have no intention of um, of treating anything it discovered as public property as an entity america is not what people think it's not this uh default peaceful just system it is a war machine it is a company Yep, D.C. is the military wing of the Vatican, essentially. Exactly. Uh, no, that, that's a good point. Like I said, the Catholic Church is what created the Union. The Union was run out of D.C. Abraham Lincoln was the de facto dictator of the Union because it suspended the Constitution, and it's never been returned. We've been in a state of national emergency since then. And some would even say martial law. Yes, and, and it's all conducted from this. It's not even a true state. It's a type of district that it's like, you know. It's, it's a corporation. Incorpor- it's, it's incorporated. It's incorporation. And it's strictly uh, controlled by Vatican interests, which mean it's controlled by European continental interests. And yep. that can be like there's the diagram where it's the United States and D.C. is the military wing. The city of London and the British monarchy as the cap, as the banking wing, and the Rothschilds, and the Vatican as the spiritual wing of this uh, Napoleonic New World Order, which is also like NWO, right? New World Order, Napoleonic World Order. I like that. Because, I've never heard that before. Well, wow. my whole theory, like you said, the wars were to destroy this old world. Who in the 1800s? was, I guess you would call it a general comparable to Napoleon. No one. And Napoleon upset a world or a European world order that existed since the fall of Rome. Yeah, I mean, uh, he arrested with, the Pope. <laughs> yeah, specifically with that. No, you're right. He dethroned the Pope and he crowned himself the Emperor of Europe. Yep. 
he was not a weakling and the battles of Waterloo and his exile are uh, British propaganda. And even then, um, like I said, we're, we are, we are already in the territory where the, his story, right? History is false. If you consider the Bavarian Illuminati to be involved with Napoleon, like the church of the ascended being, and all these French revolutionary things at the time of this, like, you know, philosopher states and scientific state, the metric system, you know, they were inventing things like airships. Uh, the French are not stupid. And the French have a huge grudge with the previous existing order of the world. You could, you could easily say, right? Like they are the arch enemy of Britain. The Hundred Years' War, right? The, the Catholic Church, they persecuted the Knights Templar, you know, it, or vice versa. At this point, we say the French monarchy was deposed, and so all things ancient uh, from that line, lineage, uh, you know, would be on the chopping block, quite literally. Clearly, they have the motivation to, and the property already pre existing with the Louisiana Territory. To, to easily create a shadow world government that would bankroll, basically bankroll all activities of their corporate interests. Um, people like, for example, Vietnam, like in modern history, the Vietnam War, the French were losing in Vietnam. And what do they do? They got America to fight Vietnam, take over the responsibilities. Yep. Uh, that's what I'm saying. They, they could easily be pulling the strings because since the days of the revolution, they were pulling the strings by giving us weapons and, you know, communicating through Benjamin Franklin. Um, the, the same thing could be said about, um, you know, their activities around the world, like Africa, the South America, the French, the French used to own Mexico. Yep. I'm saying like the, the, like they have a huge history in North America, especially in terms of the information that they could have acquired. Like they don't really have to have boots on the ground. They could have clear knowledge of maps, you know, missionary statements through their, you know, ties with Catholics or the Catholic institution, you know, um, if, if anyone, for example, was, able to translate you know Mayan or Aztec codexes that were stored in the Vatican libraries I'm pretty sure the French are, are on that list you know what I'm saying yeah and and one of the interesting things I just uh, in that book I was reading about the uh, the sacred networks one of the things they talk about in there is that how the you know the Templars were in uh, Solomon's temple. Right. And one of the things that they brought back to France was the books of, of Thoth and, and his, uh, I guess he had, I don't know, I think it was about 20, 20 or 40. I can't remember the actual number works that, that, you know, they supposedly brought back and gave to a, a, a gentleman named, uh, oh, what is it? Day Payens or something like that. He was a big, uh, you know, French tied to the, the higher elite status. But what they said is they brought back this knowledge and they could have been some of the church builders, you know, back in, you know, we're talking around 1100. Um, but I, I had never heard of that. And that, you know, 
that again, it ties right back to France, like you're saying, and, and th- you've just unlocked a whole can of worms for me because that Napoleonic world order, I, it's sending my brain into a, a spiral right now thinking about that because now I see it with a little different set of glasses on. And, uh, and I really like that idea, that concept that's, that's fascinating. No, well, like the entire idea I always had was that there are two histories, and one of them's written in French. Like there are two histories of the world, and one of them is written in French. Yep, that's just—I mean—that's a world that people like only don't even don't even think about that they have a totally alternate version of reality because it's told through the French language, it's told through the French perspective, the French angle of things, right? And think about what we've been given, right? We've been indoctrinated with the Roman version of history, right? The, the West that we've never been given the Eastern side of history or, or, or the French side, you know, it's always been that Italian based Roman based structure and timeline and everything revolves around Rome in our you know, in our teachings. Very interesting thing about Rome, like we said about Napoleon and his uh, dethroning of the Pope and papacy. You know that when when Italy fell to Napoleon, uh, because everyone's like, what is Napoleon's accomplishments, right? Or he took over France twice. He became the emperor of Europe. Italy had been independent in its many different city-states, specifically Venice, for 800 years. So what technologies they must have been using to defend themselves, including their fortifications, including their defenses, their tactics were defeated by whatever Napoleon was using. Exactly. Yes. And there are images of Napoleon using airships. Yeah. To get, especially to go over to Russia, right? Yes. And that, that the idea was that, um, Napoleon wasn't a mere general and he wasn't a buffoon. And I think popular opinion has always painted Napoleon as a buffoon. A little a man short, syndrome, right? Yes. Who, who's more uh, pomp and arrogance and, you know, failed at Waterloo. And well, you get, you know, the, you get the term the Napoleon complex, right? Exactly. And I think people forget that Napoleon, um, I mean, he he was in Egypt. He supposedly shot the nose off the Sphinx. Yep. And he was in the pyramids. Exactly. You You don't tell me that's not metaphorical for something. That his forces, you know, disfigured these ancient ruins for fun. Like, that's how... Are we led to believe that they were like this anarchic history destroying iconoclasts like who who care who had so much disrespect for the ancient world they would shoot the sphinx in the face with a cannon well it's it's funny you mention that because i got graham hancock's fingerprints of the god staring right at me and what's on it the sphinx with the big sun ray behind it like jesus exactly are we led to believe this is a holy war this is a crusade of theirs like that just seems like a really random thing to do, right? Like, are we led to believe that this is just like something that Napoleon did because he was this like ill-disciplined vandal? Or was this an actual purge committed by the French against the old world? 
maybe like an old world order. That well, was- yeah, and if if you look at Italy, right when he goes after Italy, that that they were you know segregated or or not unified because of the banking families, right? The old money banking families that controlled most of Italy at the time, and and yeah, I I could see that for certain. You know, trying to destroy, you know, get rid of the maybe the Phoenician influence. I think a lot of it was like you said, uh, the 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 so the Phantom timeline. That's the thing I we we, we covered a little bit of, but we didn't talk about. Um, you know, the victors write history. You know, he who controls the the past controls the present. He controls the present controls the future, right? Orwell. Yep. Now there is something to say about. It. Italy's history and what we consider the fall of Rome, what we consider the history of the Western world that has never sat right with me. And I think it's because Rome, like the much of the downfall of Rome and much of the dark ages that we know is the history of Europe. Maybe that is part of this grand reset and, and part of this grand cover up. And maybe Europe was as technologically advanced as what we assume the West was. And maybe there was no dark ages. Maybe they existed in a state of like Renaissance level advancement. Well, because like, yeah, like, that, that makes total sense because that's a narrative they give you right afterwards, right after the dark ages, we go into the Renaissance that the great cataclysm could be connected into something like the black plague, right? Where the uh, a great dying occurred. Uh, maybe it was something like a virus or a plague. Uh, some, maybe even radiation poisoning, right? Maybe from that comet and that the dates have all been askewed to make the timeline seem linear. And really it happened pretty simultaneously. I, I buy into that wholeheartedly. You know, I, I think the timeline, the whole concept of our timeline is unbelievable at best. Exactly. It's, it's, okay, so the big theory with the Phantom timeline is that there have been hundreds, if not thousands of years added onto a timeline to stretch it out, as well as events happening that have been switched around. Uh, so not only is history taught to us inaccurately, it's non-canonical and it's told in a non-linear fashion. Um, this is very confusing if you aren't familiar with it, but basically to put a sense of it, the the Catholic Church is, is assumed to be the one to have done this, simply added a thousand years <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the timeline to go from the year 800 to the year 1800 well and, 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 and added a thousand they, years of catholic nonsense of and, like saint aquinas and like martyrs and i was saying like of their own history uh and that history is the history of the ancient rome basically but they created the dark ages and the middle ages to separate themselves from like julius caesar and you know sipico africanus because the the big conspiracy is that Jesus Christ is Julius Caesar, JC JC. Yep. And the year instead of a thousand was J, 
there was a J over all these numbers or in front of these numbers. So it would say like J seven hundred. And then they or, then they added in the I, right? So it yeah. was either I or J. And then what's fascinating is is if you put an uppercase I, that looks awfully close to a one. To a one. Yes. And that they just transformed instead of calling the year j or i which you're right it would be i because there was no j in the in the alphabet the the year would be i uh say 800 they called it the year 1800 and that these corrections were made relatively very recently and by that i mean um like he's like during this this great reset of the 1800s and that the catholic church is actually um not that old or right. or, or legacy it yeah. actually is a modern invention uh, in in much of the sense of the word and that the timeline is not like what we think that you know there isn't a thousand year distance between the holy the ancient roman empire and napoleon or the days of the american revolution and that things like uh england you know, like 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 England and its histories are uh, either mostly fabricated or just misunderstood ancient world histories. So there's no like, um, there were no dark ages. Yeah. There was no great ignorance. There was no religious persecution or time of of like you know. Um, ignorance basically there was just a continuous straightforward path to enlightenment and that people were like um you know ancient roman intelligent and then leonardo da vinci intelligent and then napoleon intelligent and then they made the metric system and then literally a hundred years after napoleon were fighting world war ii and you know inventing the atom bomb and what else did they co-opt? They co-opted the, the calendar, right? Which is our way of telling time. So if they were able to change the calendar system, why, what's to say they weren't able to, you know, change the entire timeline? He holds the pen, right? Pen's mightier yeah. than the sword. Yeah. And you look at it and, you know, you look at the calendar system that we use, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it's not based in anything. You know, how is October the 10th month of the year? Oct is eight. I mean, it just exactly it doesn't incept, you know, like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's off. Everything is thrown off. And so when you start digging into it deeper, it is not hard to believe that in the phantom timeline theory that that there there is some. Uh, manipulation of time to to and and why like you said it's to to further and build up this great influence of the roman catholic church and and make them seem like they've had had this long dynasty when in reality it may have been you know instead of being a couple thousand years it may have been maybe a couple hundred exactly and i believe that there's a lot of controversy in saying this part but um hopefully you're on board with it as well and I guess this is a good point to kind of like, you know, conclude as our final chapter. Um, the division of religions 
is completely artificial and I believe complicit into the conspiracy to cover up the ancient advanced world, the the true society, true civilization of America of the world, not only America, but uh, globally, Islam, Judaism, um, the creation of Israel, the Catholic state, its influences, the Buddhist church run out of Thailand. All of them are modern inventions that are rather illegitimate that are using the legitimacy of real texts, real ancient knowledge, but creating bureaucracies around them that are centralized and bankrolled at a level of a corporate system. Islam, for example, was created by the Catholic Church and people who were educated in how to manage systems like that, like the uh, theocratic states from directly from the, the old papacy. Um, I believe Muhammad was actually a Catholic uh, or a ca- previous Catholic. And his w- wife was actually a member of Italian uh, aristocracy, aristocracy. Sorry. Um, I believe the same thing goes with uh, modern day Juda- Judaism. And I believe that is important as a factor in the creation of Israel and the Zionist state. They are rewriting our history with their present day actions, such as when they discuss things like the city of Jerusalem. They are doing so through the perspective of propaganda that is trying to recenter the geos, the, geo, the uh, geographic location of that holy city away from the West in the Western Hemisphere, which I believe is its true location, to an Eastern location. But they're doing so completely um, to fit their narrative. Well, yeah, and it's, it's no confusion. It's, it's twofold, right? One, it's, it's an excellent control mechanism. It's a, it's a great way to, to subdue the population. And, and, and on the other front, it's a great way to divide and conquer, to separate people, right? If, if, if I'm going to hate somebody because they believe in Islam and I'm a Christian, well, there, there you go. You have your, your duality, you have your poles set up. And, and that's what, you know, as you dig into this, you know, dark arts, deep state, whatever you want to call it, they feed off energy. Right. And and by creating two poles, that's what you need. Right. You need a yin and a yang. You need a north and a south. You need these two opposite poles to generate that energy and that conflict and that that division. And and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think religion is just a it's. Made well, up. the thought hit me. The thought hit me when I watched ISIS uh, destroy artifacts from uh, ancient cities. Oh, in Syria, right? Yes, and in Palmyra. And they were destroying these artifacts and these ruins. And so you can see how modern-day iconoclasm could occur. Well, now imagine how it was back in the day. And what did they blow up? They blew up a giant statue of Buddha. Why, why yeah. is Buddha in Syria? Exactly. That they were erasing history in front of our eyes. Yep. And I realized that if you actually look at it, it doesn't, it's the best thing for uh, this mission is to create these religions that have artificial histories of the world. 
we were just talking about the suspicions with the King James version of the Bible. Um, that can be extended to most of these because now we can't trust our so-called religious and spiritual leaders or our institutions that are providing so-called Genesis stories um, because they are painting pictures of the world that are morally uh, directed, not factual directed. Correct. I know it sounds because you're like, obviously religions aren't the place to go to hear about historical truth. And people forget that they have been historically, regardless of the modern enlightened man, you know, respects the religious institutions of the world. Billions of people take their knowledge of the world they live in directly from their imams or their priests or their, um, you know, their clergy of any kind they can find, you know, and that if these are all um in on it that's why none of them speak about this ancient society that ran with science and progress and rationality and logic you know as its guide not uh emotion or religious zealotry or uh violence or competition you know greed um that this society was able to do this because it valued its own potential. It valued humanistic properties and principles. Yeah. Yeah. Religion is one of the great conspiracies of the world, right? I mean, if you think about it, the way it was created and co-opted, it's, it is, it's, 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 it, it doesn't make sense. And, and like you're saying to that effect, people just buy in and believe have blind allegiance to their team. Right. And that's what they want. They want teams. They want you to, to identify with somebody. So if you, cause if you're on a team, you have to have an opponent and it, without an opponent, there's no need in having a team. And, and yeah, I agree that this, the whole narrative of it and, and their whole perspective of history and the stories that they tell of it, is is totally perverted it it has very little you know factual base in it it's more morally driven more you know on their end ethically based you know so that they they can make themselves look like the good guy versus the evil bad guy you know you have to have the hero and the and the, the villain and I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think it's just the, the, the kind of thing where, you know, for a long time, I, I thought that the truth was in the Old Testament and in the records that were left by the prophets. And, you know, it really kind of has been a journey on my own part to be like, you know, there's no reason why this is true. There is no reason why this is the only thing that was happening. And there's, there's no real authority besides the authority that I give it. And then you realize that like the, they could be interpretations of different events at the same time. It is, it is that blind obedience that will close your eyes and not open them. You know what I'm saying? It's that yes. limited world imagination of you. Where if you don't think that there that someone could be lying to you about this, then you're not really thinking realistically. 
you know, like that realistically, you have to think for yourself. If you are to find the right answers, if you're finding the kind of reality and truth, um, it's the same thing with this with this ancient Tartaria system. It's the same thing with the Great Reset system. Is because the conspiracy is so universal, it's so large, you can't go to a library and open a book and have you know just spelled out for you Barney style, like oh yeah. But if you piece together and and you know use your brain you can realize things like the Carrington event, like the New Madrid fault line, like the Great Chicago Fire, like the, the, the World's Fair. The, the, the facts and the figures are painting a picture that and if you just put it together in your head, you can see contradicts the fable that you're being told. And that is you're being told of the superiority of your present moment. And at that point, you're believing that your prison is the real world and that you're, you know, you are free. But in reality, you've never been less free. You've never been dumber and you think you're the smartest person who's ever lived. That explains just about every college kid these days. That's what I'm saying. Like, you're never going to take a college class. No professor is ever going to tell you this shit. Well, this no, is completely antithetical to the system. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. if you said, yeah, an ancient society of neo Greek Poseidon worshiping coastal pagan city states existed in North America and um, they were engaged in direct energy weather warfare until they killed themselves in a massive mud flood and you know we inherited their cities and called them our capitals you know and and they built san francisco and and you know the washington dc and they did so for a cult or for for um energy grid purposes to harness the uh, you know, free energy available on the earth grid, you know, that that's like, that is pretty much, uh, you know, <laughs> that, is, that is pretty much the, the uh, taboo, right? When it comes to the academic world. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I think you get an F. I think you would get an F from your history teacher. <laughs> Well, you would get that anyway, because if you go against the narrative in school these days, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. If you don't give them the answer they want, you're wrong. You're wrong anyway. That's so. what I'm saying. We're, <laughs> we're very much we would get F's in history class, no matter how well we argued our points, because this is something that they are definitely trying to hide from you. They are definitely they don't want you to know this. Well, yeah, that's, you, not a, that's not an understatement. That's not even a controversial. That's a thing like oh, yes. Totally true. And you circle back to where we started with with the Chicago Fair. And what was that called? It was called the the Great White City. Right. Yep. And yep. and the whole purpose of it was to show, you know, that Europeans white superiority over the natives and over the old world and, you know, the pagans. And and like you said, they had human zoos where they would have different cultures come in and basically 
in, in a replica of their environment and have them shown off for all these spectators to come. Now, who's coming to these World's Fairs? For the most part, it's white aristocrats, right? It's the upper class white people that are coming to watch this. And it was, again, to use the term whitewashing, essentially, it was a whitewashing of our history. Yes. And, and not only that, the the levels of construction for the infrastructures present in urban metropolises in the 1800s was well ahead of its time. Subway systems, um, you know, electrical grids in cities that we are led to believe were lit by whale oil lamps. Mere generations before. Yeah. Like literally there was a point where they were, they had people just wandering the streets during the evening, lighting lamps full of whale oil and kerosene. And then overnight, these cities became dazzling, electrified, uh, neon, you know, uh, neoclassical, you know, 1920, like 1900s, 20th century, you know, Arab infrastructure metropolises. Where once there were horses, there are now cars. And if you look at the art, there were plans for airships docking with skyscrapers. There were plans for above-ground trains and rails connecting the skyline. That this was designed before the Great Depression. Before we had the Hoover Dam you know, supposedly before we had the polio vaccine, before we had penicillin. Yep. As they want you to believe that, that most of America, you know, had an eighth grade education, yet urban city planners were able to create the Chicago World's Fair within two years. Yep. For an audience of 27 million people who traveled very safely and fluidly into this uh, Chicago, which is interior of America, which supposedly is in the middle of nowhere during this time, connected only by rail and shipping through the Great Lakes. So so not only was it supposedly a long journey, yeah, months-long journey, but it was done um, in high society and in high luxury. Yeah, it's almost like the Oregon Trail, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a more advanced version of it. Instead of you know by horse and buggy, you were going by train. But that you know it makes you think, though. You know, mentioning airships, if they had airships, that would be a much more convenient way to get these people from point A to point B. And one of the things you see over and over again in the in the photographs is the vanilla sky, and oh, yeah. the entire oh, sky is just blacked out is whited out so you never know what went on up there and you'll get some excuses that oh it has to do with the development of the film and you know the cameras at the time but how come in some camera some photos you can see the clouds you can see the background and then others where it's a panorama of the city the whole sky is just completely white so you can't tell what was going on up there oh absolutely that that that, there's a lot of photoshop and covered up um, skyline and, and skyscape because the prevalence of these airships and the art is they're universal and they're numerous 
they're not rare. There are photographs of and, and and copies of like say for example lithographs and posters for magazines and like you know magazine covers where there are hundreds of airships over New York City. And we're not just talking like Goodyear blimp size airships. We're talking about massive airships here. Hindenburg is is one of those weird slips in history where you they want you to believe that it was a a a tragedy that kind of put an end to the experiment of air travel. And you're like, you you do know that it both reveals transatlantic airship travel as, you know, both like, like a relevant possibility, but also there was an infrastructure for it. There was, like I said, the, the docking stations on top of skyscrapers where skyscrapers could like be docked with blimps for the fairing of people and our goods. Like and or charging, were, right? And or to recharge yeah. is what they said also. They could have been, you know, uh, uh used as a, a charging docking station almost. Yes, like exactly. The, the, they belie their true purpose, and their true purpose was even greater than that, as being, you know, basically amplification towers tesla towers you know uh charging towers like you said for the entire city's power grid yep but but the fact that the infrastructure of the city was being incorporated into air travel um you know that's it speaks of magnitude more than what people want to listen to and that is the future of yesterday was not like a half-baked optimistic um, you know, poorly conceived reality that our progress has been extremely retarded. And I use that in the clinical sense of the word. <laughs> I mean, I mean, use, it, use that in the technical sense of the word. Re- regressed, prevented, where we want to believe that that was impossible and that was a foolish dream to have. But in fact, it was the dream of literally a hundred years ago. Yeah, and, that and we looking failed to achieve. Yeah, and looking at it, you could almost say the Dark Ages were really the early 1900s, because you know, comparatively to what we had in the 1800s and to what we have now, the, the early 1900s was you know after you know you get into the world war one and, and beyond and it was you know for a few years there it was pretty dark i would say even into the cold war and then yeah. the dark ages you're right we're in the midst of a dark age absolutely no questions asked we are absolutely in the middle of a dark age um like you said the beginning of the 1900s uh we're look at the end of the 18 uh the 1800s the end of the 19th century so you have rockefeller assuming control of the american petroleum industry and uh, supposedly creating a fortune that's been unrivaled in history. He was probably the richest man to have ever lived in the history of mankind, right? Um, And he does so overnight, basically. Not through oil, but through produce. And people don't know that. He he basically um, created the, the modern, you know, logistics behind the food industry, you know, and he extended into petroleum 
as well as many other things. Now, Petroleum gives him two quirks. Ge- uh, geographic specialties, right? Because it's all geography. So he's able to dig and create subterranean you know, technologies as well as um, cartography, exploration permits, yes. you know, and licenses, as well as tied to the government because the government's infrastructure is based on uh, uh, manufacturing and stuff like that is based on petroleum needs. Now, he never really was an engineer. He was an investor. Now, the, the concept of his family being into you know these governments and these oversights his sons were governors they they knew the president they were on government you know uh federal levels very high levels this continued into like i said the 1900s he was completely in charge of the last hundred years because during the 1900s it transitions into the great depression he's able to literally purchase the american company the dc corporation and become the chairman of the american uh, america basically incorporated united states incorporated yes Uh, he creates the public education system he creates the modern military industrial complex system it might surprise you did did you know that in between World War One and World War Two, there were only twenty thousand active United States Army personnel. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Twenty thousand. Did you know the technology that we use in our modern wars is nearly a hundred years old, and that they have found Browning fifty caliber machine guns in current use in Iraq that have their stamp their their production number. Stamped in 1919. Wow. This is done because we are not told what our taxpayer dollars really go to. The biggest swindle was the creation of the American military industrial complex through patriotic reasons. And like you said, we live in a very, very dark age because most of our actual profits most of our actual labor as a nation gdp wise goes to fueling systems that we only have a religious faith in and have no real understanding of it's the whole basis for our tax system right yeah well i mean like you said the church like the dark ages is when when the church rules public education and the church rules public production and the church rules human life and they control the laws and people only have a faith in the system that is told to them, is taught to them by the people in power to keep their power, to exploit the literal illiteracy of the masses and take their history and take all their, their culture and convert them to their ways, Right. Basically, exactly. that's what the Catholic Church is known to do. Goes to an area, tells them they're wrong, takes everything from them, makes them Catholics, and then tells them to keep giving them money because that's what good Catholics do. That's how they grow. That's and their own, model. And the only the connection to God is through them. And if you don't, you're going to hell. And that's that's a tough concept for people to grasp. Exactly. And that is the 
the transition between um, the Civil War and America, the Union taking over, and the Union taking. Uh, remember, Rockefeller got his fortune. Do you, do you know when? In the 1870s. Well, that was that, when he, he got into steel, right? Yeah, but yes, that. But that's when he became, um, you know, a millionaire. But that's when he became his uh, his road to success. But that's when he started really basically becoming John D. Rockefeller in the 1870s. That was only 10 years after the Civil War. Yeah. Wow. So think about the time frame between the Union, quote unquote, the Union taking full military martial law of the country, but the country not exceeding to the Pacific Coast yet. Right. Like we haven't really done all of the america stuff we still don't have 50 states and through rockefeller's meteoric rise to fame within his lifetime so that's within 60 years from 1870 to 1930 he takes over the government completely um becomes the new chairman of this existing military industrial corporation finishes taking over america imposes the pe- propaganda of the American military regime, the, p- the power of the American military superpower, creates the two fake wars, War One and War War II, does not create them, but takes advantage and exploits them. Uh, war War II more so than War War I. But by the time he's dead, his sons are taking over that. Nelson Rockefeller especially creating the public education system, public... Uh, medical system the fda for example uh you know petroleum medicine creating pharmaceuticals you know they're creating wall street they're creating what we know of modern america the cold system right the national security system homeland defense all the government goodies the fbi cia all that good shit NSA, they're they're the ones creating the bureaucracy, the administration, bankrolling it, basically creating what we know as the true America and the American narrative, the dream, all the the biographies that we know as great Americans, all the history lessons that we know as great American moments, history things, all that good shit, all the TV you've ever watched, all the movies you've ever watched. Uh, all the books you've ever read, they've come through the Rockefeller production machine, the, yep. the factory of society, and that society is America. And it literally is that. When you say it like that, it happened overnight. Yeah. And it literally did. It really did, yeah. Truly did. Because in 1930, we didn't have the Hoover Dam. There was no power to the West Coast like it was. I say, like, we people forget that World War II was fought, you know, during a time when most Americans, you know, had, you know, didn't own a car. Yeah, we were essentially still recovering from the Great Depression. Yeah, it, it was like the Okies, you yep. know, had just walked to California, the Dust Bowl, you know. Um, in War One, no one who had fought in War One had the power to vote. Or change their government leadership because they were all monarchies, you know. Like it, it people 
really forget that that America before Pearl Harbor was dealing with like hunger, like like national hunger. Yep. Homelessness, poverty across the board. High crime. Yep. And that that we are not a real people. Like you said, the orphan trains. Oh, we didn't even get to talk about the orphan trains. Um, but yeah, like the orphan trains, that was what populated America. It was just mysterious orphans. Hundreds of thousands of orphans. We're not talking a handful here. We're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands. I've seen, you know, 200,000 up to like 500,000 potentially. Mm-hmm. They, they would go to, the, they, they were the ones who literally colonized like Wyoming and like Minnesota and like all these states that we take for granted. Like Wyoming today doesn't have more than a million people in it. Uh, Idaho, like most of the West doesn't have a million people per state, you know, outside of the West Coast. But like Montana, less than a million people. Uh, you know, Oregon has the largest desert in America. And people don't realize that a lot of these places, their only human population came from forced distribution of orphans it was strategically placed right yep like exactly like they would be like oh we need more people to work the land literally in nebraska because the human population is like two per you know 0.2 per square kilometer so we just literally need more warm bodies and they would ship like thirty thousand children on trains over the course of, you know, a few months or gener- or years. And those would then be your local populations of like Prioria and, you know, like, like Des Moines. And, and having, Fargo. yeah. And having no concept of history, no concept of, you know, who they are. And it really leads to make it easier for them to rewrite the narrative. Right. And, and, and that's one of the things that when you get into these orphan trains, a, where did all these orphans come from? Right. We're Mm -hmm. talking, you know, the world had a significantly less population at the time. And we're talking about a massive number of orphans. Well, where are their parents? You're just telling me that all these people were just throwing babies away left and right saying, here, take them, take them, take them. I, I find that very hard to believe. It, it's actually very surreal and strange. You're right that that no one seemed to even be concerned, and that just seems like a very strange thing. Even historically, like say everything in history is right, that like nothing nothing makes you think outside the box. When has there ever been that many unaccounted for children? Yep. Like seriously, what time in history has that ever been? It, like and it, you, no one was freaking out or raising a big concern. Well, maybe maybe the today <laughs> today might be well, comparable. Well, the issue seemed to be very demanding. Like they wanted those children. Like like people would just come and get them. Oh, and it was it was very public too, right? I mean, it was in the news. There were broadcasts was, on it. They were selling children just to the highest bidder, and. It wasn't like it was even a very uh, shocking thing. There was like even reports of like uh, newspapers just advertising them, and they were shipped children by mail and stuff. 
Oh yeah, it was like mail order brides. Yeah, you could you could order a baby, and there were photos of like postmen just carrying babies in bags. Yeah, like there was a demand. That's what I'm saying. Like a farmer in Minnesota would need more people, like need more children for his like dairy farm, and would literally adopt like ten children, no questions asked. And those ten children would then become you know, either they would stay or they would distribute, but that's literally how America was populated. And there's not much mention of that historically. Like, and even it's not like it was ancient history. Like I said, it's overnight. Jerry Seinfeld's father was reportedly one of the incubator babies. And he was shown off in Coney Island until he was adopted. Because, like I said, it's very public. Like at Coney Island, an amusement park would just have like a, a na- pre neonatal unit as an incubator farm, basically for children. But well, no that- one even asked where these children came from because they don't come out of thin air. Like they need a womb, they need a parent. And the issue was they said they were given up for adoption or that there was some kind of plague like tuberculosis was killing the parents but at the same time that fucking makes no sense like like what like you would just gleefully show off an orphan well yeah and 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 they traveled all over the world with them it was like it was like the circus you know it was a sideshow well i was saying like if there was really a tragedy associated with this there wouldn't be such like an exploitation factor like there wouldn't be be like 25 cents per baby yeah, like, yeah. come get, get one buy, exactly. buy two get one free exactly like there is like no real human re like there's no human parallel to like a reaction like um to this like it's just so fucking surreal it just makes like, i can't figure out i still can't wrap my head around where they got all these kids and you know, and I've heard some crazy conspiracy theories on on either side of it, but one of them was that these were were like test tube babies that they made. Yeah, and I, that's my theory. I think they're clones. Yeah, I really think they were that's, clones. That was the I other think one. That the um, the story is much bigger picture than we like to imagine. That either the breakaway civil is like so. Either the society that we inherited the nation from, they had these facilities already there, or and the babies waiting to go as a repopulation effort, or they were actually given to us because this is maybe, like I said, these powers never truly disappeared, maybe greatly reduced in power, but if you have literally the power of cymatics and computers and wireless energy, you are basically a God. Like, oh, yeah. believe it or not, you could, su- you could survive a calamity. And even if a bunker of you guys survived, each one of you is smarter than Einstein. and Each one of you has technology that could fly like UFOs and things. You could easily produce human clones and then talk to the president of the United States and be like, hey, I'm going to give you like a bunch of babies. You just <laughs> put them where you want them. I'm going to trust you with them. And they're going to reseed a nation that over 100 years will have 300 million people. And most of them will not question 
where exactly they came from. They'll do 23 and me and be like, oh, I'm Irish. Oh, my parents came over Ellis Island, even though it's like, like, they were turning away boats, apparently, from Ellis Island. Where were all these people coming from? Like, really, why are there more Irish Irish people in America than in Ireland? Yep. Like, genetically, that doesn't answer a lot of questions. Like, oh, this is where your people are from. But why are there so many great, like, populations of people in America? And There and are more what, Italians in America than in Italy. Yeah, and what I've heard about that is that is is Catholic Church-driven. That was part of the uh, part of the plan was to flood America with immigrants, you know, Irish and, and make sure they're Catholic, make sure they're Irish or Italian. And and just, you know, that was part of the reset was, you know, having these folks come over with no real ties to the land, no knowledge of the land. And then they could, you know, in essence, create the story off of them. It's very interesting when you think about um like that's the reasons why, but the, the the real question is how. Yes, the, the real question is how. What technologies are they not giving us? Either that, or what what really what really happened to these people's parents? <clears throat> were they the uh, orphans that were that were discovered in the ruins of these cities? That's also a theory that that this disaster, they had bunkers and that the bunkers were given to their children like vaults and fallout. Mm-hmm. And that these children were discovered in the ruins of these cities. Possible. It's possible. Why so many infants? Yeah. That's like, like why so many? Like, but how would they, you know, my thing is how do they survive? Right. I mean, these are young children. We're not talking about, you know, teenagers. We're talking about really young children. And, you know, the the whole concept of of shipping them across the Atlantic, I just I find it very hard to believe that, you know, they would come across on a boat and, you know, you have this massive amount of kids. Think about all the staff you would have to have to to just keep it in order and keep it clean and sanitary without them, you know, dying of disease on the way over no you're absolutely right kids don't travel well and you don't think three hundred thousand of them do yeah um also i think a big interesting factor is the the ids they were handing out um during the chicago world's fair yes now they may have done this elsewhere but the id process is very interesting if you look at old ids um for example the eye color gray represented significantly more more uh than it is represented in the modern day um gene pool like to the point that i'm to the i'm to the belief that tartarians for lack of a better world word had gray eyes uniformly gray eyes oh that's an interesting take maybe rh negative because the it, the I mean, the phenotypes are much more um, much more fair, you know, much more Caucasian. Well, yeah, and and there's rumors than of lower Mediterranean. Yeah, there's rumors of them being you know fair. 
Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Like, I that's the thing, like the, the, yeah, like I said, it, it doesn't strike people that, you know, there are so many Scandinavian, like Norse, like I think like in Minnesota, the Vikings, you know, like Swedish uh, descent. That gets kind of swept under the rug with it all. Like I said, if there was a cat, I don't know, what was the true genetic makeup of the North Americans? Everyone thinks red and dark, but like that could have been the Moors. Yep. And there could have been naturally Aboriginal native Caucasians in the New World. Because like I said, this this rewrites history completely. Well, and and especially if you consider that there at, at that you know previous time there was a land bridge from essentially what is deemed Tartaria, you know that western or eastern Russia um, across the Bering Strait over into uh, you know Canada and down into to North America into the United exactly. States. I'm, I'm saying like what 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 were uh, Canadian natives authentically their ethnicity? We like to think that overall universally they were an asiatic darker skinned people like an eskimo type yeah yeah but and and all the way down like uh ecuadorian natives they all look distinctively Mm non-caucasian but what if we basically kidnapped all the caucasians after things like wounded knee the reservation process, the trail of tears and simply reintegrated them into society under European ethnicities. That's very possible. Very possible. And then just, and then just put the quote unquote natives on the reservations. That is something that's like a splinter in my mind where it's the idea of native Americans as being myth. Like, that's a myth. Like, uh, what we think they were is not even a fraction of what they really were. We think they were like this un, unintelligent, not unintelligent, because we have great respect for their intelligence. We think just they nomadic, like, right? They were nomadic. nomadic. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, they, they lived in teepees. They didn't affect their environment. They didn't understand sciences. They didn't understand engineering. They didn't have the wheel. You know, they 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 didn't they didn't um, understand statecraft. They were like children. Yep. Right. But then we try to explain away the fact they defeated us in battle. That even with decimated populations, because they didn't have immune systems. That's how innocent they were. They didn't understand medicine because they never were sick. Like we have these really preposterous belief systems for them. Yeah, like they wouldn't know how to use plants or anything like that. (laughs) But they were the ones who helped us grow crops. Yeah, and lived off the land. If you go by the whole nomadic, you know, TP horseback riding narrative. Exactly. Like, oh, they we defeated them because we had superior technology, even though they they literally um, destroyed most of our civilizations. Yeah, that we most of our colonies and these huge raids and like even with tomahawks and bows and arrows, they were still like extremely dominant and dangerous until the time 
like hundreds of years after initial contact. It wasn't overnight that the, hey, the pilgrims came, all of America belongs. Like we were fighting them well into the 1900s. Like people don't realize that, that they were still Native Americans surrendering to the United States government in the 1930s. Oh, yeah. Like, exactly. Like, people don't realize that we had airplanes and we're still discovering Native American tribes. Yep. Like, exactly. There's this idea that the Native Americans were peacefully, res- uh, that not peacefully, but quickly subdued, quickly conquered. The Civil War was fought and then the American Indian Wars were fought. It wasn't the American Indian Wars were fought and then America had its mo at its history it was the other way around most of what america is is either simultaneous with native americans as a society or as as a, 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 a as a uh, an entity like um you know and then literally that is like it connects directly with like the modern era with like the trains, with cars, with uh, technology on that level, you know, airplanes. Yep. Like it, the, like it's, like I said, when you actually look at it, it happens within a blink of an eye. Oh, it's over and overnight, essentially, you know, and 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 to yeah, it, it's such a mind blowing concept. I mean, just to to unravel it, and like, I mean, we went three hours and touched on a small tip of it right i mean it's it's we need to talk about this again we need to come back to it and specifically i can pull up some information and be better prepared but my whole theory is that the native americans that we met for example the apache the ones that are documented right the geronimo the 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 comanche the midwestern indians the plains indians the great iroquois and, and warrior tribes those were the mad max level like post-apocalyptic survivors of these great cataclysms yes i honestly believe that we were dealing with like literally uh like the fallout raiders uh, or like you know the raiders and fallout like the people yep. who who had survived by going into the country and had basically learn like you know reverted back to uh paleolithic era t- technology because the societies of high technology that they lived in and existed in literally um were now buried they were like yep yeah like they were walking literally over them and they knew where they were they knew historically what had really happened to their cities but because of you know this the nature of the invasion as it was that's why they were fighting that's why the sioux think that south dakota is so holy it's because we don't see it but they know that that's basically like underneath the soil is their their old like you know society their old civilization that's Um, their world yeah the mound builders for example like we 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 are historically disrespectful for the mound builders accomplishment but the mounds are engineering marvels like 
Yeah, you have the one in Ohio that's a mile long. Exactly. And, and the head points directly. It's it's so it's lined up with the with the sun in a manner. I forgot what I, one of the solstices it lines up directly with. I think it's a summer solstice. Yes, they were astrotheological. They were engineers. They were rivals to any kind of world power or civilization or society, uh, including the ancient Romans, including the ancient Chinese that we think they just did like rain dances and like, you know, yeah. And mud huts. Yeah. had like Eagle feather hats. And that's like <laughs> basically the peak of their civilization. And you're like, you really don't estimate the, the amount of knowledge that these tribes had. They just weren't telling legends of how the moon was a Raven and the coyote, but like played a trick on the lizard. <laughs> to give people thumbs no like they were fully aware of advanced mathematics they were fully aware of advanced agricultural systems they were fully aware of um you know like things that would literally you know forever be secrets because that information was never exchanged and because the wars were absolutely like the massacres you know like they were they were they were absolute genocides. Well, yeah, we hadn't, but I say we, the, the, you know, the colonizers had no intention of learning their history or understanding their, you know, powers. They were just out to destroy so they could rewrite the narrative. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's basically, you said, you said it perfectly that the colonizers too were not a natural extension of people. They were the basically employees and I guess you call it civilian population, the chattel of the Rockefeller, the United States Incorporated, the, yeah, the henchman company, the the uh, the Catholic uh, missionaries, and, and the the culture that was ordered west. Um, it started from the east coast and it those populations were basically encouraged slash like redistributed and remobilized and forced out into areas simply to claim the land to claim the territories and that's what we know of the 50 states of america it's not an organic thing it was specifically created to take that land from people Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. There was a whole mission to it and, and it wasn't, it was, yes, it was a mission. It was a mission thing. Like, yeah, it was, or, it was, it was totally organized from the top down. It wasn't organic. It wasn't like, Hey, this looks nice. We're going to call it Colorado. No, it was like, Hey, you know, we, we, we have these maps and we drew a big ass rectangle and we're going to, we're going to totally create this state from the ruins of a pre-existing civilization yeah oh it's it's mind-blowing for sure (laughs) we got we got to talk about this again and we definitely uh will we'll make time for it in the future but man that this has been an incredible conversation it really has oh i thank Uh, you man this is this has been great i this is right up my alley this is what i've been diving into for the last year plus and i i could talk about this for days 
it's encouraging to talk about it with someone who knows about it and is passionate about it. Uh, I think it's it's also really cool that it's been coming out recently. Like as of late, it's building up a lot of momentum on the subject matter and on the 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 zeitgeist. You know, like more people are making videos, more people are making podcasts and content about it. It's gonna be the new flat Earth, I think. Yes. And, and it's already turning into it with the whole Tartaria, right? The whole concept of yeah. Tartaria. And I think that gets overblown. You know, it, it, it's more encapsulating than than what it really is. I think, you know, because we just don't know what to call it yet. Is it the old world, the, the last civilization, pre-Great Reset? You know, I think it's just easier to lump it in and say Tartaria because people know what you're talking about. But I think over time, too, that that'll change and we'll have an actual term for it that'll kind of capture the period in a, in a better manner. But for now, right. the whole concept of Tartaria and, and being a destroyed civilization, a lost civilization, so to speak, is, is uh, a great place to start. And it, it has opened so many, I mean, I see so many more people talking about it now than even, you know, six months ago. And it just seems to be growing and growing. Now, on the other side of it, though, I, I I know recently I've been starting to see a lot more false information out there. So I think, you know, they're trying to co-opt this movement as well and really start throwing in some bogus stuff to try and throw us off the track. Man, that's always how the bullshit goes, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. As soon that's as you're thing. on, you're above yeah. the target, they're going to throw something out there to try and throw you off. But you just have to be diligent, you know, and that's what I tell people. I'm like, do your research and don't just go off of one source. You have to go off multiple sources and and, and verify and re-verify. And, you know, like a lot of the I things that I go into, I go into it with the mentality, OK, I'm going to prove this wrong. And, yeah, that's how the flat earth was. Uh, I think like, you know, you're absolutely right. Like most people get their information and they want to be for, they want to be fed it. They want to have all the research done for themselves. Oh, for, for certain. I mean, I even see it on like Instagram. I'll post a video, you know, clip and they'll say, Oh, can you send me the full video? I'm like, it's in the name. It's in the title. All you have to do is go to YouTube and just type it in. But you know, being, being the person that I am and I want to get the information out to anyone that wants to hear it, I'll go to YouTube, I'll copy and share and I'll DM it to you so you can have it. But yeah, people are very lazy when it comes to research and, you know, they're quick to hop on a bandwagon, you know, and, 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 and put their flag in the ground too. Like one of the things that I say is, is the more that I learn, the less that I actually know. And, and I love, I love that because I keep questioning and I keep, it keeps coming up with more questions. And the day that I stop questioning is the day I'm going to be really scared because at that point, what do you have left? If if you think you know it all and you have it all down, you know, what else is there? You're set in your ways. And, and I, I, I feel like too many people want to be on a team and we need to get away from that. And, and you don't have to be right. You just have to be honest and if you're wrong, admit it, right? There's nothing, nothing bad about being wrong as long as you're truthful in your presentation. And that's what I say to my, my listeners is, listen, I want you to check and double check everything that I say 
because there are things that I'm going to get wrong. And, and I want you to tell me that because I want to know, you know, and I want to go ahead and say, okay, well, I, I was wrong about that. Let me see what the other side has to say. And, and I think we've lost a lot of that, you know, ability to, to have some cognitive dissonance, you know, and, and be able to go out, break your shell and break your reality. Because in, in reality, what we've been taught our whole lives and programmed and, you know, we've been brainwashed into thinking that life is one way. And in reality, it, 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 you have to remember the determined version because that's what they love doing. They love inverting things and, and giving you one thing, but in reality, it's the total opposite. Yeah. In the matrix, um, the, the biggest fools are the most certain. Yep. Right. Like exactly. Like if you're not at least questioning everything then you know you might as well be questioning nothing because if you're holding things as unquestionable truths i mean that's that's how they're going to get you that's how they're getting you already and the best way to start breaking free is to start looking at yourself and saying what are the things that i'm most afraid of questioning what are the things that i think are taboo and why and, and the big part of a lot of people's lives, like you said, we're living in a dark age where they're letting um, their other people do their thinking for them. And it's it's just like, you know, um, a form of illiteracy. It really is. It's a form it's, it's, of a form of inability to do one thing for yourself that could actually educate you in favor of uh, someone else doing that task for you and then telling you what is right and wrong. It's, it's ignorance, right? It's, it's yep. just being ignorant and not being able to, and that's regardless, why I love, you know, well, we, we've yeah, regardless done tonight. If it's a professor or something telling you that if you go to college and you think you're getting educated instead of indoctrinated, you are mistaken. Yep. Been there, they, done that, went through that system, and that got me nothing but a lot of debt. <laughs> exactly. If you go to college and you really question your professor or the things that they teach you, you will fail. They will yep. give you an F. You cannot progress in their system. It's not, oh, you can you can be independent inside the institution of higher learning. You have to be a puppet. You have to be... Literally, that's what they call education in America. They they give you an answer and they say, when we ask you a question, this is going to be the answer. Then they ask you that question and the whole the whole uh, academic skill is repeating the answer at that time. Regurgitation. Regurgitation. Exactly. You say uh, it's X. And then you ask me the question on a piece of paper and I write down X and then you give me a A and a diploma and I graduate and I say I am smart. Yep. That is it. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like people, that's an institution. That's a taboo that I used to believe in that I question now and now see that it's not worth defending. That it was entirely part of this Rockefeller system of creating a giant kindergarten and calling it the real world and basically depriving humanity of adulthood and achievement and personal thinking skills and critical thinking. And if you want to see the proof in the pudding, think about how very limited people are 
and ability. Think about how very limited people are and how much they need others and how much they need services. Like, You're a very reliant system. Yeah. yeah no Dependent. one's independent. Yeah. No, no one's self-reliant. Everyone needs uh, supplies and tr- that are trucked in and uh, shops that are opened and, and, and employed and staffed by dozens of strangers. And those strangers need dozens of strangers. And, you know, entire cities are mere shopping districts seemingly to keep everyone's basic needs satisfied. And then you think, at what point does education serve this system? And it doesn't. In fact, that's why it doesn't educate its citizens. Because it's that's the one thing that's unnecessary in a society where everything is a necessity. Yeah, and, and they want you dependent. Right. That's how they keep this thing going. If you they can want get... you to need and the one thing you really do need in life, which is an education to set you free, to make you independent, to inherit, you know, the truth and the, the amazing system, the power grid that you live on, you know, the, the, the shoulders, the giants that have already came before you and have solved the great riddles. And all you need is the right books, you know, to teach you and the right eyes to see the, the answers before you and things. And that they they know that if you ever get that you will never need them again remember it's a whole game of need you'll oh, never totally. need anything again and they only exist by making you need they make you weaker because the more the weaker you are the more you need from them if they could charge you for air they would oh they yeah they haven't found a way to do it yet they got us for water Yep, exactly. That, exactly. That the, the system that they live in is the charging of basic necessities instead of the liberation from basic necessities. And that's the 180 of their uh, polar opposite, I guess you call it, system. And that's the thing that people realize that it's not, um, it's not mistaken to think that everything they tell you is actually the opposite of everything that's going on. Yep. That's the inversion. The inversion, the great inversion. Yep. That, that when they tell you it's liberty, it's enslavement. When they tell you it's right, it's wrong. That's when they tell you that's, it's black, it's really white. Yeah, and that's why my podcast is the great deception because that's that's my whole thing. I want to try and show people right that listen, we've been brought up in a system that makes you believe X when in reality things are closer to Y. So. Yeah. And, and just question everything. I mean, if you, if you have dogmatic faith in anything these days, I feel for you, unless it's yourself, you know, you got to believe in yourself. But other than that, I don't, I, you can't really trust anything. Exactly. Like, I think that it's one of the things that is so ironic in that America is supposedly the land of the free and the home of the brave yet is the biggest like sheep herd it's a giant prison essentially yeah it's a giant prison it's a giant sheep herd that punishes free thought that punishes independence and individuality and and it does so through institutionalized like you said prison mentality institutions like school systems etc 
debt you need and debt exactly like it's a land of prosperity and it's got entire impoverishment and poverty and debt um it's a land of plenty yet it has the greatest um you know desperation out of out of most people um it's it's like I said, it's it believes it's one of the youngest nations on earth, even though it's one of the oldest constitutions in existence. And it believes that you know the individual is powerless, even though it is a society developed to empower the individual. You know, yeah. and it's absolutely because we are fighting, like I said, the great deception. We inherited one thing, which is like the monuments that we see, the statuary that we see, we have developed a society that is tearing those statues down. That is villainizing the past because they want to control our future. It's like I said, it's so Orwellian yes. to think about the, the he who controls the present controls the past, he who controls the past controls the future. And he who controls the present right now is telling us what to believe about the past. In our present anger, we are going to erase the past and rewrite it to create the future that they are creating for us. And it, it's very much why I believe like the Great Reset is it's, it's, it's I think purely for that reason because they want to control the future and to do so, they must destroy the past. Yes, that's the only way. Yes. And that the Napoleonic world order, it came from the great French Revolution, which was a part of the global revolutions caused by the Bavarian Illuminati. And that the war, I mean, the mission of the Bavarian Illuminati from the very earliest days was to destroy the old world order. And the old world order was this grid system. Knowledge based, right? It was a knowledge based system. Yeah. The great deception is that they were going to liberate mankind, but in turn enslave it. And like I said, their whole thing is the great deception. So we don't even know if that really was their mission statement. I now I'm just thinking about that right now. I'm like, well, who the hell are we going to trust? We couldn't trust the Illuminati because they, and we wouldn't trust anyone at this yeah. point. Today. Like, because everyone could be as equally guilty in, in, in this great reset of ours. It's the old X-Files motto, right? Trust no one. Trust no one. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, it's really up to us. We have to, we have to now abandon all hope. There are no saviors. There are no heroes. The hero yeah. is you. You and you alone. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a great, great point to end it on is to reaffirm the champion of the world. Your world is you. Whoever is listening to this at home, us speaking, it's 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 the great eternal, you know, I am the great eternal rebel, the great eternal hero. The hero's journey. Yep. And it, it's very much like we live in it, it under the spell of a great and evil sorcerer and in a fallen kingdom. And we are 
in many ways called forth to this like adventure to return the world to its former glory and it's as every bit as epic and magical as that sounds and i know everyone listening to this is human and is you know struggling times are tough economically socially you know every spiritually but when you start thinking of yourself in that perspective you are link you are you know joseph campbell is a hero with a thousand faces you are luke skywalker yep you know and you got to get off the moisture farm (laughs) 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 and get your ass in gear and that's exactly it whether your battle be fought in a library or on the internet you know you got got to do the good fight you got to find your your friends you got to find your companions on your quest and you got to do your part and and you know i think that that's that's really where i kind of want to end it on no i'm with you, you yeah you you got to do it on your own no one's going to no one's there are no saviors no one's coming to do it for you it's you and you alone well, Matt, it's been an amazing talking to you. Uh, oh, Matt, pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Thank What's you happening? very much. I was gonna say, Matt from the Great Deception Podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I'll have your links and everything when I po- when I publish this and upload it. Uh, for your audience, uh, I'm Beyond Top Secret Texan uh, from the Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast, and um, the I guess you call it multimedia. Um, a spectrum of content like got a tiktok instagram youtube all actively uploaded on uh regularly uploaded on i i'm uploading a lot of video evidence currently but video essays i have uh 400 videos on youtube in my archives and 150 uh podcast episodes um i'm i'm uploading multiple videos tiktok every day uh, on Library Odyssey, if you guys want to check out that, you know, at home uh, from your audience. Yeah, and but- guys, I highly recommend it. I've I've been on his YouTube page now for a couple months, and it, it it's never ending. And and the he's got quality quality content. So definitely go check out the Beyond Top Secret Texan on uh, on YouTube, especially, and and follow him on IG. I yeah, absolutely. Jeff, follow Great Deception Podcast. Uh, Instagram, follow the podcast and his directories. Uh, Spotify currently is the one I listen to on. Um, as well as, are you planning on uploading anything more to the YouTube? Oh, yeah. I got actually, this month, is it's it's ironic that we met on Tartaria because uh, over the next couple of weeks, I got uh, four, pre- I'm going to start doing a couple presentations. So I got one on uh, the Crystal Palaces one on the world's fairs, you know, U.S. world's fairs, most of them from like 1853 in New York up to 1915 in San Francisco. Then I have a deep dive into uh, Chicago, 1893, that I'm going to do that maybe one or two parts. And then uh, I also have one I'm putting together on. Uh, actually, I'm doing one on Thursday night, if, if anyone want, is interested, on rockfin.com. Uh, on the legit bat podcast, I'm going to be doing a presentation on star forts on, uh, so Thursday night, uh, November 4th, 9 30 PM Eastern time. Uh, I'll be on rockfin.com doing a little, uh, star fort presentation. 
Excellent. Excellent. I can't wait. And for everyone listening to that, definitely uh, catch the the presentation he gives for Legit Bet. That is going to be amazing. And it's going to be podcasters helping out podcasters, independent creators helping out independent creators. Excellent, my friend. I thank you so much. And we'll definitely have to do this again. Absolutely. Absolutely. The pleasure and the honor was all mine. And you're definitely always welcome back as a special guest on the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast whenever you uh, wish to speak about this subject or any subject relating uh, to it. So thank you very much, my friend. Thank you. And Namaste likewise. And Namaste and Shalom. Thank you. Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have sensors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and suggesting your submission. We need cameras. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others. They will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and in your panic you turned to the now High Chancellor, Adam Sutler. He promised you order, he promised you peace, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent.